It is three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network on a Tuesday afternoon. B.J. Bennett alongside Ben Troop with Cam Ursery as well. We are glad to be with you. We have a busy show uh, to get to this afternoon, including obviously some breaking news with Tom Brady to address right off the top. But uh, the ACC, they have released their football schedules for 2022. Georgia Tech's schedule is something serious. Uh, they might have the toughest schedule in the country. Kelly Quinlan of JacketsOnline.com will join us. Uh, the college baseball season is on the horizon. Aaron Fit, D1Baseball.com, uh, will join us in Hour 2. We'll jump back into the ACC scheduling in Hour 3 with Kelvin Hunt of ChopChat.com. Uh, ben, there's a change to the Florida-Florida State game for this season. We'll get into that. Uh, Brad Crawford, 247 Sports, has released his predictions for SEC teams in 2022. We'll discuss that also on the first day of Black History Month. Somehow there remains just one black head coach in the National Football League, which is unacceptable. We'll address that uh, here on the show as well. We are glad to be with you. Uh, Tom Brady officially retires. Speculation, right? It was reported. I think Adam Schefter was was the first to report it that uh, Tom Brady, after a career that has no compare, the GOAT, the legend, the icon, he retires. He came out today officially Tom Brady has retired. I, I, I guess, Ben, uh, how do you reflect on a career like Tom Brady that is is one of a kind. Well, the first thing I uh, want to say is, uh, you know, shout out to Adam Shafter. I mean, people when he uh, first reported, people were trying to say uh, because of because uh, Tom Brady Senior said that he hasn't made a decision yet. Tom Brady's like, well, I haven't made the decision yet. Well, I'm pretty sure when you got BJ, you talk, you tell me when it comes to journalism, you got you know you got at least two sources. I'm pretty sure Adam Shafter has the best sources uh, in the National Football League, but there is no comparison. We talked about this uh, BJ before the show. You know, we, we, growing up, you know, it was about Joe Montana. Uh, it was about, you know, a damn arena. We talking about just playing the quarterback position. And then you, there was Tom Brady, this guy out of Michigan, uh, late-round pick, uh, went on this run and didn't stop. It's almost like they said that when he first got drafted, he went up to Robert Kraft and said, I'm going – I'm going to be the best draft pick you ever made. I'm going to be the best decision you ever made. And obviously you appreciate his confidence. But 10, 22 years, 10 of those were spent in the Super Bowl, 10 of them. I think about the National Football League, and there are certain guys that I say, man, I don't think I'm going to ever see another receiver like Jerry Rice. Uh, I don't think I'll see another running back like Barry Sanders or maybe Walter Payton. Uh, I won't see uh, another you know, weak side linebacker, BJ, like, uh, like Derrick Brooks. I won't see a middle linebacker like Ray Lewis. All those guys, great as they are, they don't compare to Tom. And the reason why I say it is this. Ten different teams got to experience the Super Bowl with this guy. One of them coming in the NFC. First team to host and win a Super Bowl. So I just think that when I think about Tom Brady, I mean, I just think about greatness at the highest level. You talk about the, you talk about the most the hardest position to play in football, the most polarizing position to play in football, might be the hardest position to play in football. I mean, in team sports, when you really break down everything that has to go, he did it in a running area. He did it in a, in a passing era. He has all the records, most passing touchdowns, most passing yards, most wins. And what can I say, man, his postseason it compares to certain guys' regular seasons when you look at what he's done. So everybody pairs in comparison. I know it's all about the next up, you know, Joe Burrow, Pat Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers. They don't compare to Tom Brady. So for me, Tom Brady's in the class all by himself. He wanted to put a a he wanted to put a gap between him and number two, like I've never seen before. So whoever's coming behind Tom Brady, you're definitely going uh for second place. And hey man, uh shout out to the GOAT, man. He did it his way. And like I said, the greatest thing about sports is to know when to walk away. He walked away, BJ, 
with a lot left in the tank. His best statistical season ever, uh, you know, in his 22 years, and he did it at age 44. Somewhere uh, he's beating the hell out of Father Time. And like I said, man, he's going to be missed. With him leaving, it makes the entire NFL uh, pr- pretty fair across the board for every other team because it's going to be the first time in a long time we're going into the season with Tom Brady not being on the I roster. I mean, it's just crazy to think about. I mean, Cam, you're a, you're a younger guy. I mean, for almost mm-hmm. your entire life, Tom yeah. Brady's been a quarterback in the National Football League. I mean, just crazy to think about the National Football League without it. Yeah, I mean, he's been there since I was, what, two years old? So I'm turning 24 this year. He's played for 22 years. He's the GOAT. He's responsible for, like, beating three, quote-unquote, could-have-been dynasties. Great show on turf. He beat the Legion of Boom where they were trying to go bat-to-bat. Yep. And then I know some people don't like it, but Atlanta, that was the best offense in NFL history. That year, they were statistically the best offense in NFL history. He beat all three of them. He's responsible for those three Super Bowls. He's responsible for the highest-scoring Super Bowl in NFL history against the Eagles where he threw 500 yards, still lost. He's the GOAT, and the one thing I respect about Brady the most, I know I've had a love-hate relationship with Brady growing up because I've seen him stop Manning win Super Super Bowls. He messed up my Falcons, and then he's, you know, just outshining my man Rodgers. But he went out gunning in his last game. You're down 27-3 with like, ah, Brady going to go out like this? And then you bring your team back, make it 27-27. Now you got a chance to win. If that pass to Cooper Cup doesn't happen, we might be talking about Brady in the in the Super Bowl right now, you know, playing against um Joe Burrow. But he's the GOAT. He's done a lot for the sport and a lot for just not just for the sport, but people that watch the sport. Just greatness and consistently being great is the hardest thing to do in life, just being consistent. And he did that for twenty two years, which is basically my lifetime. So respect to him. And I think it's unfathomable to think about 10 Super Bowls because you say that, but you've almost been desensitized to Mm -hmm, it because mm -hmm. it's Brady. I mean, think about this. There are professional franchises who have never been to a Super Bowl. I mean, of of our favorite teams, if you... Cam, the Falcons have been to two. Mm -hmm. The Jaguars have been to zero. And the the Titans... The Houston Texans have been to one. The Titans have been to one. The Houston Texans have never been to one. Right, have been to one. So, our teams combined have been to three. (laughs) Tom Brady went to 10. 10. I mean, I and look, we all get caught up in it. I know a couple of a couple of days ago on the show we were talking about if you if you looked way down the line, could Patrick Mahomes maybe have a resume one day close to Tom Brady? Could uh, you know, Lamar Jackson, could I, you know, whoever you want to throw in there, Joe Burrow, could he and the the answer is that is a long way away for anybody. If yes. I mean, there is no historical parallel, right? No. You think about you think about what the the closest guys quarterbacks would be Bradshaw and Montana, I yep. guess. Mm-hmm. If 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 that, but BJ, think about this for a second. If he just called it a career after after New England, you know that's twenty years. That's nine. That's nine. Uh, that's nine Super Bowl appearances. He showed his human side, Cam, and, P, and uh, you know, at BJ, he, he lost to Eli Manning twice, lost to Nick Foles once, but still had 500 yards in, against that Philadelphia Eagles uh, uh, defense. He did it. He did it in a running era when they were, it was just all about running the football. He took two tight ends and a slot receiver to the Super Bowl. Lost a Super Bowl when he had Randy Moss, who broke the, the the receiving record for most touchdowns in West Welcome. He did it. He listen. He did it with Adam Vinatieri. He came back. And he went to the NFC. Think about this. He was in the NFC two years. And in his first year in the NFC, he won the NFC and he won the Super Bowl. There is nothing that Tom Brady had to done. Like Tom Brady was saying, he he sat in his house. He did a why analysis. He says, I he said, you know, why why are you this? Because you know, he said, look, I gotta do this. I gotta do that. BJ's going down the bullet point. I gotta do this. 
I there are ten different teams that can talk about him. Ten different teams. I don't even know how many players that is. We talking about Pat Mahomes and these guys. That would mean BJ that half of their career has to be spent in the Super Bowl, not winning a bunch of games. You got to spend if you're in the league ten years, you got to spend ten of them in the Super Bowl because that's what he did. That's what he did uh, before he left New England. And I think the thing about Tom Brady is this. If you don't appreciate greatness, that's why you don't like him. We talked about what he did to the Falcons. We talked about what he did to the Legion of Bone. We talked about what he did to Peyton. Peyton Manning can't beat him. Little brother Eli did. But, but little brother Eli had to play him one, and, 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 and it's for everything. Eli Manning, almost, I mean, uh, pay, pay, uh, uh, I want Tom Brady almost went undefeated, like the 72 Dolphins. He's done it all. And the thing, I think, I think what happens is, when people start talking about what are you willing to do to sacrifice to win, I think Tom Brady wanted to win at all costs. I don't think Tom Brady cared about winning regular season MVPs or Super Bowl MVPs because Deion Branch got a Super Bowl MVP, if I'm not mistaken, BJ. Adam Vinatieri was winning them Super Bowl MVPs before. He wants to say, hey, man, say whatever you want to say about me. Make sure you call me. We talk about Gronk. Is Gronk the greatest uh, Titan of all time if you don't have Tom Brady's whole career? Do, do Randy Moss, who had just came from the then um, Oakland Raiders, People say he was washed up. Wes Welker couldn't find a place for him in Miami. He goes on to become arguably the greatest slot receiver of all time. Look at how many guys. Corey Dillon gets to say, I won a Super Bowl because I went over there to England. Fred Taylor left uh, Jacksonville and tried to get one. That was one of his teams that didn't make it. I just think, I mean, Leonard Fournette, uh, Devin White, Bruce Arians, Byron Leftwich, Todd Bowles, uh, JPP, Shaq Barrett, Antoine Whitfield, Junior and, and Tom Brady played with Antoine Winfield that, Senior. That is crazy. I, I, I just think that when you think about his impact on the game and what he meant to so many for so long, I mean, I, I mean when I say he's going to be missed, not not from a standpoint of wins and losses because it's hard to beat him, but I think something you said, Cam, brings it to the 27-3. Most guys, that's it. He goes, no, dude, I will not let my lasting impression be this. I give you Kobe Bryant his last game, you know, at Staples, the, the Staples Center, 60 points, bowed out. I think the, I think the great ones say, look, man, if this is my last performance, let me make it a good one. Yeah, I tell people, we'll never see this again. Um, as great as Mahomes is, his first five years, he has one championship. Tom Brady's first five years, he got three. <laughs> it's it's levels. I, it I is. Tell, I tell people it's levels. It's not easy to be great like that. Mahomes is great. We know that. Um, Rodgers is great. Look how many rings. He has more rings then Rodgers, Breeze, Manning, and Roethlisberger all combined. Yeah, that's something. It's something that's to think crazy. about. And, I mean, even with Rodgers, I know you're a Rodgers yeah. fan. I know a lot of people consider Rodgers maybe to be the best pure thrower of the football. Yes. Aaron Rodgers has been to what, two Super Bowls? One. 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 One? Well, yeah, he, he went to one. one. He beat that's one. What he beat one. Rodgers. One. Went to, went, to, yeah. went to one. So Tom Brady, so Tom Brady yeah, excuse me, so Tom Brady – Went to ten. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers, who a lot of, went to one. I mean, well, how, well, do you, this. how do you if, process if, uh, that? If um, if um, if 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 Tom Brady, you know, called up Dan Marino, I mean, I'm gonna give you one of my Super Bowls, right? I mean, I appreciate that. If if uh, you know, if 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 uh, if uh, Tom Brady calls up Philip Rivers, I mean, I'm gonna give you one of my Super Bowls. I appreciate that. If he, you know, he still got he still, five. He still, he still no, he That's still got crazy. five. And how many guys can say I won the AFC, dominated the AFC? Went to the NFC for two years. I won the Super Bowl. First team to hold the Super Bowl. Now, uh, you know, LA, the LA Rams going to do their best impression. BJ, once again, when I ask you who the greatest DB is of all time, there is no debate, right? When we ask you who's the greatest, and we ask who's the greatest football player of all time, it's going to be some debate. I, I get that part. Barry Sanders, Jerry Rice, you know, LT. When I ask you who's the greatest quarterback, that's it. It doesn't matter who <laughs> yeah. you like, who you didn't like, right? Tom Brady has done it all. When you look at, hey, man, top of the record books, listen. Yards, Tom Brady. 
Uh, pass, uh, touchdowns, Tom Brady. Wins, touch, Tom Brady. Super Bowls, Tom Brady. Super Bowl appearances, Tom Brady. Tom Brady called Charles Haley and said, I know you had seven, but I had seven as the QB. I know you did your thing, Charles Haley. Was hey, BJ, he's the GOAT, and that's, that's whether you like him or not. He will be missed. But the rest of the NFL, you're welcome. If you are a quarterback, the bar has been set at a level that only uh, that only a few can even attempt to. All right, quickly, you – I. You you stepped away from the game and you said never once did I did I feel the urge to go back. I know Tom Brady's what forty four years old. Yeah, but do you think is there a chance or is this it? This is it. No question. This is I, it. If if I would say I would say if if he didn't go out the way he went out, I would say he would come back because everybody would say, "Hey man, I got something left." No, it's like the twenty seven to three. Most listen when people talk about a franchise quarterback, all you got to think of this: no matter what, we think he can bring us back. 28-3 brought him back. 27-3 brought him back. Mm-hmm. And I and I think the thing about Tom Brady, BJ, he's coming back to do what? Like, I done it all. I done it all in both conferences. It took me one year to do it. I think he only came back the second year for the NFC because people thought, well, maybe last year was a fluke. Now, if he doesn't win, now, I believe, too, if he doesn't win his first year in, 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 uh, in the NFC, I think this year is different. But he's done it all, right? He's done it all but go undefeated. And the 72 Dolphins, congratulations. That's the one record you guys can have. But, no, man, he's 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 done it all, BJ. And I think sometimes when we start thinking about the greatest team sport player, I know that Mike never lost in the finals. But guess what? Tom got more than Mike. So if you want to do that that debate as well, he got one more to Mike. Hey, man. That's another way to look at it. It's just crazy. <laughs> he more did. Champions. So, so he, he, he I, I will said be Brady is a better team. I don't think he's a better player no, than I don't Mike either. is in his sport. But we're talking about uh, football is the ultimate. You know, it's yes. the ultimate team sport. And he's the greatest team player ever. Retires with more rings than Jordan. That's that's yeah. something else to think about. A lot to talk about on the show today, including the ACC has released uh, football schedules for 2022. Georgia Tech, good grief. Uh, this schedule, the way it lays out, the home games, the road games, we'll get into this. I, I know Jeff Collins is trying to rebuild, trying to get off the hot seat. This schedule, Ben, it's one of the toughest schedules I've ever seen, I think. We'll get into that. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Football here today on 3 and Out. P.J. Bend alongside Ben Troop, Cam Urshery with us as well. The ACC has released schedules, and we'll look at Florida State's schedule. Uh, uh, a new day and time for Florida, Florida State. Ben, we'll get your thoughts on that in just a little bit. Uh, but you look at the ACC, I think Clemson's going to be preseason top 10. You'll see NC State highly ranked. You'll see Wake Forest highly ranked. I think Pitt, Miami will probably be pretty highly ranked. So Georgia Tech, uh, trying to trying to trying to get it built, trying to build some momentum there with Jeff Collins. I don't know how you do that with this schedule, guys. Listen to this schedule, and I'll just run through it. This is week one through week twelve. Clemson in Mercedes-Benz Stadium, so that's a home game you're playing down the road, uh, neutral site venue. Western Carolina, Ole Miss at Central Florida, at ACC champion Pitt, Duke, Virginia, at Florida State. At Virginia Tech, Miami, at North Carolina, and at Georgia. I mean, realistically, look, I, I, I think, I think Georgia Tech's done a good job of recruiting. They've made some staff changes. I know that, but what? How do you manage that? I, I don't know how you manage that. I mean, Mije, I don't think it's going to be the same Clemson we saw in 2021 and 2022. We know they're not going to have that repeat performance. That's probably going to be hard to watch in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Western Carolina, I mean, that might be, you know, a game they can definitely go out there and get a win against. Then you're talking about Ole Miss. You know the Lane Kiffin in that offense. UCF is a tough is a tough go at it. Don't matter, you don't matter you play them 
home or away. As you mentioned, BJ, the defending uh, AC champs, you know, Pitt, Duke could be a toss-up. Then, you, then, you could, then, then here comes the gauntlet. If you ain't there, then you got Virginia at Florida State, at Virginia Tech, Miami, at North Carolina, at Georgia. Jeff Collins. If if Jeff Collins can pull off BJ, and he's going to have to pull off some. But I mean, think about that finish to the season. Your last five games, just say this out loud. Florida State, Virginia Tech, Miami, North Carolina, <laughs> and Georgia, and four of them are on the road. Yes. You go to Tallahassee, to Blacksburg, to Chapel Hill, to Athens, and, and, and Ole Miss and UCF and Pitt in three straight weeks to begin the year. This is this is brutal. All I'm going to say is this about Jeff Collins. Um, he has he has not been given uh, you know the easiest situation to come into going from a going from a storied offense to a new offense, trying to figure out how do we keep how do we uh, you know keep pace in the ACC that was dominated as of as of as of late by Clemson, even though they took a year off last year. And uh, you know uh, I j- I just think that uh, when you think about this Georgia Tech team this year, BJ and Cam. Wow. I mean, I don't know where you're going to get a win. And I know we said every year, where, where are the wins at, right? I mean, I understand that you got to make progress year in and year out to kind of keep Georgia Tech faithful and the fan base and the alumni happy. BJ, I don't think this is it. We talked about the schedule this time last year, how rough it was, right? Did it get even rougher? You start thinking about it. You look at Georgia's schedule. You look at Alabama's schedule. It seems more favorable for them in the regular season. And we talking about – Two of the best teams, if not the two best teams in college football. They treating Georgia Tech like they're coming off a national championship win. They're trying to make the degree of difficulty even harder. This is rough. Jeff Collins, good luck. I hope he enjoyed Atlanta, BJ, because if if he don't show any improvement regardless of the schedule this year, this might be the last of Coach Collins. Oh, yeah. I mean, I agree. I think this would be the last of them as well. Um, this year it would be a good season would be three and nine. Um <laughs> I don't want to And that depends on who the three are. That's that depends who the three are because they went three and nine this year, but you snuck a win against North Carolina when they were ranked. And nobody expected that. I don't think North Carolina's falling for that this year. Clemson's not going for that. Um it's a tough schedule and I feel bad for Georgia Tech, and this is coming from a Georgia fan because it's hard to it's gonna be hard to pitch that to recruits. Like we went three and nine last year, we're going to this year. We have the hardest schedule in the country. I haven't seen everybody else's, but I don't think there's anything that could top this. You get this, Clemson. This has got to be it. Yeah, I mean, you get Clemson at the top, at the top, Georgia at the bottom. I don't think nobody else in the country has that. Um, outside of South Carolina, they have that. But man, this is a it looks bad. I would say three and nine is a good coaching job. But outside of that, it's looking rough, BJ. And you never know. I mean, look, Florida State. You can beat Florida State. They did in Tallahassee their last trip. You could. I think you could beat Virginia Tech, uh, Duke, Virginia. Uh, you know, you could. You could beat UCF. It's not like all of these games are unwinnable, but it's just unrelenting. It's back mm-hmm. to back to back. And for a program that is trying to find its footing, that's a heck of a challenge. And I understand an opportunity comes with that. I mean, if you beat Ole Miss, if you, uh, I, I think even play Georgia well at this point. I mean, if you go and win in Tallahassee and win in Blacksburg in back-to-back weeks, if you win at the defending ACC champs, those are spotlight wins that, that matter for your program. But on paper, and we'll chat with Kelly Quinlan, JacketsOnline.com, in just a minute. Just brutal. And I went and looked. Seven of the 12 teams are getting some attention in preseason. I know it's very early, but in very early preseason top 25 polls. Clemson, Ole Miss, UCF, Pitt, Miami, North Carolina, and Georgia all have a chance to be ranked. Uh, Georgia's going to be in the top three. Clemson's going to be in the top 10. Uh, Pitt's probably going to be in the top 15. And, I mean, look at, look at, look at these teams. 
Clemson has made six of the last seven college football playoffs. Ole Miss was just in the Sugar Bowl. UCF just beat Florida in their last game. Pitt just won the ACC and was in the, the Peach Bowl. Miami, they found their quarterback. They have a lot of young talent. Mario Cristobal yep. coming in. North Carolina, at the end of the year, the way they've recruited, they're probably going to be ranked. In Georgia, I mean, Georgia's a, a, a juggernaut. I mean, I, how, do you, how do you evaluate Jeff Collins when you want to see wins, you want to see progress, you want to see bowl eligibility? I mean, you had three wins this year. But realistically, when you look at this schedule, what, in your mind, Ben, what would constitute a successful season? Ooh, I mean, unfortunately, I mean, I, I, I know, I know it's, it's, it's not fair, but BJ, I'm going, I'm going back to a year ago. This is the same Georgia Tech team that should have beaten Clemson, right? Lost by two points, they kind of panic. I mean, you're going to have to beat Western Carolina. You're going to have to find a way to make Ole Miss not look like Ole Miss. I mean, I'm just looking at a, a potential wins. Western Carolina, maybe. You, Ole Miss, maybe. UCF, maybe. Duke, maybe. And it's really going to come down to me. That Virginia, Florida State, Virginia Tech, uh, like stretch because he's gonna have to go to a bowl game, and that, and that's and that's that, I'm gonna tell you why, BJ. If you are Georgia Tech, right? Cam talked about it. You went three and nine last year. What does three and nine get you this year? That means you won six games in two years, but you've lost eighteen. You can't deal with that. So for me, BJ, this is what makes college football. We talked about this. We celebrate the undefeated teams. We celebrate the conference champions. We have gotten so far away from how hard it is to get the six wins. Look at the SEC last year, top to bottom. A lot of six-win teams, right? Because that's the standard. I think, BJ, if he gets six wins this year for the Georgia Tech team, might as well be undefeated when you look at this say, If he gets bowl eligible, I think you're talking about conversation for ACC Coach of the Year. Oh, National Coach of the Year with this schedule. <laughs> Going from three and nine. They lost to Northern Illinois this year. Exactly. So if they get six wins, I'm talking about National Coach of the Year. Um, but this is this is a tough feat, BJ. I don't know. That finish, man, <laughs> guys, at Florida. And I understand Florida State's not, not what they used to be. Virginia Tech, not really either. But at Florida State, at Virginia Tech, Miami, at North Carolina, at Georgia. And it probably doesn't help mm. when you talk about the pressure on Jeff Collins that Georgia just won the national championship and probably isn't going anywhere for a while. So Kelly Quinlan, JacketsOnline.com, will join us next. Is this the toughest schedule in the country? What are the questions for Georgia Tech entering spring? We'll chat with Kelly Quinlan next. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Back here with you, it is 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Hope you're doing well on a Tuesday afternoon. The ACC has released football schedules for 2022 and some uh, very high-profile games, a number of them involving Georgia Tech. When you look at a schedule that has Clemson, has Ole Miss, has UCF, has Miami has Georgia, and with us now from JacketsOnline.com to talk about this schedule, Kelly Quinlan. Kelly, good afternoon. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Doing wonderful. Thanks so much for coming on. Is this the toughest schedule in the country? I don't know. You know, it's funny. I thought, you know, last year going, and it was a really tough schedule, and then it turned out to be sort of, uh, you know, medium hard. You know, the Notre Dame and, and Georgia games are really hard. This year, sort of front-loaded because you open with Clemson and then you get Ole Miss week three and then Central Florida, you know, is sort of a, a back-to-back uh, non-conference punch before you open play in, in the ACC. So the schedule's front-loaded and then obviously you have Georgia at the end of the year. But um, it, it's so hard to tell because, you know, the ACC is such a mess right now. You have so many major coaching changes 
I mean, if you look at Miami, they still don't even have coordinators, and we're in February right now. So um, it, it's just kind of crazy uh, the amount of flux that's going on in the league. But the problem is going to be for Jeff Collins. He needs to open strong. And, you know, they're not going to be favored probably in three of the first four games of it, other than the FCS game with uh, Western Carolina. So, you know, they need to upset somebody early. I think if they can come out of that four-game switch, you know, that four-game setup at the beginning, if they come out, four, uh, you know, two and two, then I think they're in good shape and have a chance to compete in the Coastal. But it's, it's a really tough sledding. And, and having that old Miss game that got pushed back four different times or three different times, now this season along with the makeup game with UCF is, is just really tough. And Kelly, with all that being said, what are realistic expectations for this uh, Georgia Tech football team this year? I mean, this looks like it should be a bowl team. It should be a team that's in the mix for the ACC. If you go by what happened last year and how close they were to winning games, and now you've added a better offensive coordinator, in my opinion, um, and you have still plenty of weapons back on that side of the ball, and your defense would be hard to be worse than it was this past year. So, to me, if you up those two things, I think you can get to six, seven wins. And I think if Jeff Collins doesn't, he's going to have a really tough time convincing people to keep his job. So, uh, to me, this is a manageable schedule. If Paul Johnson were coaching against the schedule, he would go seven or eight wins. I think that with, with Jeff and just their – their knack for finding uh, ways to lose games they should win. It's going to be interesting because they got to turn that corner now and you got to win games and, and there's a tremendous amount of pressure. How they react to that is going to be really interesting to me as well. Kelly Quinlan, JacketsOnline.com. And I know you talk about the start of the schedule. I look at I look at the finish, and granted, there are unknowns with Florida State and Virginia Tech and uh, Miami with the coaching coordinators and North Carolina having to replace a lot of talent, but four out of your last five on the road. Uh, you, you go to Tallahassee, to Blacksburg, Miami, to Chapel Hill, to Athens. Have you seen many schedules where four of the last five are on the road for the Jackets? Yeah, I think they got sort of a rough schedule, and I think Pitt did as well, because I think Pitt opens with like five home games or something. So there was some real schedule imbalance. They, they seem to do some weird things. To me, this is a little more manageable in some ways. I think you're catching Virginia Tech in, in a rebuild, so that's sort of a weird game. You know, they'll play Miami and North Carolina at the back end. Those are two teams that are really going to be interesting to watch. You know, North Carolina just totally didn't turn the corner this past year when they were supposed to. And how much of a step back are they going to take without Sam Howell? And then you look at, uh, you know, Miami's just who knows what's going to happen there and what that team even looks like. To me, the real interesting swing game, I think, that will probably determine whether or not they go bowling will be actually that game at Florida State because I think that Florida State's a team that could fold by the time that they play that game or they could be in good shape and have turned their corner as well. They're sort of in a mirror situation to Georgia Tech. They've fared a little bit better, but they're still not, not as good as they should be in terms of their talent where they are as a program, and as good a coach as Mike Norvell is. You know, I, I'm just curious. You got Dion. it seems like, waiting in the wing to take that job the second that Mike Norvell gets thrown to the curb. So I, I'm just really curious to see where Florida State and then Miami's a similar program that tends to kind of fold up shop when things aren't going well. Can Cristobal change that, that whole mentality there? And what does that team even look like? We don't even know what offense they're running or, or defense yet. So... I'm real curious about how that's all going to play out. And um, 
I think it's going to be an interesting season, and it's definitely one uh, worth kind of keeping an eye on because there's so much at stake for Georgia Tech in terms of just Jeff Collins' tenure, what it means for the program, and him having to turn a corner while still having lost a lot of fan support in the last year. And, Kelly, I mean, uh, you know, even sticking with that, when you think about, you know, uh, where does Georgia Tech fit in all this? I mean, you're talking about a Georgia Tech team that, you know, came up two points short against Clemson last year, had their way with North Carolina in uh, Mercedes-Benz Dome last year, but also lost to Northern Illinois. I mean, we three three wins last year in a up-and-down ACC this year that has a lot of turnover. What What is going to be suitable for the fan base? I know that Jeff Collins feels the heat, but what, is it, what, what does he have to show improvement at in the wins-loss column, or does he have to show improvement in making these games competitive? Week in and week out. I mean, I think it's been made clear by you know Todd Stansberry, the AD, that they have to be competitive. It can't just be that you know we you know that they eke out five wins, six wins, or whatever, and and then get curb stomped by you know a couple of teams, including Georgia. Georgia's on a different plane as them right now, but they need to not. They need to be scoring in that game. They need to not be shut out. They need to to be more competitive. Um, in those games, and that's where it's going to get really interesting with like Ole Miss breaking in a lot of new players. They've had kind of a major overhaul. You know, you don't know what Central Florida is going to look like uh, just because Gus Malzahn's teams in the past at Auburn were just so inconsistent year to year. You would think they were going to be good one year, and they weren't. And then when you thought they'd be down, they have a better season. So I'm, you know, I have no idea how to handicap this. Someone was asking me about that the other day, you know, last night, and I'm like. I just don't know. Like, uh, there's so many questions. This is as probably an unpredictable season as I can remember. In, you know, my what 13 years covering the ACC now, uh, where I really couldn't tell you who would be the favorite, even on other on either side. I think maybe NC State on the the other side of it, but it, that's hard to say too. So, I think it's sort of wide open. That's probably a good place for for Georgia Tech to be in, and. You know, it'll be interesting to see if Jeff Collins can get it done. Kelly Quinlan, com here with us. Ben mentioned the win over North Carolina last year. That was in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Week one against Clemson in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Uh, you know, one of the best facilities out there. How Do do fans like the games at, at, at Mercedes-Benz Stadium compared to uh, uh, being at home? I know it's right down the road, but is there any any opinion on that? It's It's a fun kind of environment. I think the fan base is kind of split on it. Some would like to just be uh, and play all the games in Bobby Dodd. There's a financial aspect of it, so I understand why they're doing it. But ultimately, I think the fans would prefer that all the games be played at Bobby Dodd. But that being said, it was fun. The North Carolina uh, environment was it was a pretty cool game. Um, you know, I expect the same this time around with Clemson. They'll have probably a pretty full house, I would imagine. Uh, you know, Clemson going into it with a lot of questions as well. Uh, new coordinators on both sides of the ball there as well. So I think it'll be fun. It should be um, probably more reminiscent of the, the game they played against Tennessee in the 2017 season uh, to open the year where, you know, the crowd was you know sort of split or maybe a little Tennessee heavy. I, I would expect the same thing. I think, you know, I think there's a lot of people kind of even playing wait and see with their season tickets and stuff at Georgia Tech right now just because they're so frustrated with the way things have started with Jeff Collins' tenure now. Um, he's got to dig himself out of it, and that's what's going to be really the ultimate tale is if they can come out and upset Clemson week one, I think it changes the whole narrative of their season. 
and maybe they carry some momentum. And let's think about this. They have not won back-to-back games at Georgia Tech since Paul Johnson's last season. I mean, Kelly, that being said, I mean, we talk about the turnover in the ACC. Is Jeff Collins going to be the head coach of the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets in 2023? You know, my gut is no on that. Um, just because, you know, there's so much, it's such a difficult path for him to, to get through this, but I would not be surprised if he, he makes it through this and they have a turnaround this year. But that being said, you know, they got to prove it on the field. They haven't done that in three seasons. So the, the thing that, that makes you optimistic about it is the jump up they made from, you know, the, la- the first two seasons of how competitive they were this year. They should have won seven games this year. They, they really threw four games away, including the Northern Illinois game, the Clemson game, uh, you know, Miami, and, um, and uh, at least one other game, you know, later in the season they probably should have won that they lost. So, oh, Boston College was the other one. Um, so if you just win those games where you had opportunities to win those games late, I, you know, it's a totally different narrative right now. And that's how thin the line is for them, and they've got to increase that margin of error. And that's been the big sort of talking point for Jeff Collins. And, you know, let's see if he can actually do it now. And he's doing it now with, you know, six new assistants too. So that's going to be interesting. Kelly, finally, I know we'll obviously learn more during uh, spring practice, but you mentioned the coaching turnover. Offensively, what's, what, what is the identity going to be on that side of the ball for this team? Still going to be a spread. Um, you know, Chip Long likes to go with more two tight end personnel. You'll see a little more of that. You'll see them run tempo in a way that I like, which is where they don't sub players out, so you can't defense can't sub. So they either have to fake an injury or call a timeout or whatever if they want to make a substitution. And um, and they're going to run the football and be a power football team, which is what this program was built for by the previous regime and would have made sense year one under Jeff Collins to go that way instead of going into a balanced spread, which is what they've tried to run the last few years that didn't really make sense with the personnel that you have. They give a talented quarterback in Jeff Sims who can run the football, and you have Dante Smith and Jemias Griffin and, Antonio Martin, who they picked up, and Jamie Felix, a freshman who's coming in, Hassan Hall, a kid they picked up from Louisville. They have plenty of guys who can run the football. I think you just need to give back, pin years back, run the football, be a little more ball controlling on that side of the ball, even using the tempo. And I think that's going to be the identity of what Chip Long does. And then play action, take your shots down the field. Kelly Quinlan, JacketsOnline.com, our guest. Kelly, thanks so much for the time. Thanks, guys. And Georgia Tech's schedule is out, and as we mentioned, really challenging. Uh, if you could get bowl eligible, I mean, I would think we're talking about kind of the future of Jeff Collins. And look, it's we're so far out from the start of the season, but I think if you could get bowl eligible with this schedule, in my mind, that that, that would be a successful season for the Yellow Jackets. I mean, BJ, you talk about uh, <clears throat> you talk about things that blow my mind. No back-to-back wins since Paul Johnson era. I mean, I ain't even, you know, that, 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 that blows my mind. That's crazy to think about. But I will say this. If, Je- if Jeff Collins can do the unthinkable and win six games this year, I mean, we, I mean, forget forget ACC coach of the year. We might be talking about even national coach of the year with a schedule like this. You want to give away a copy of uh, Uncommon Unfinished Absolutely. here? I know, I know we've Absolutely. been doing it once a week through the Super Bowl. And this, and this, will, be, and this will be our, uh, you know, yes, BJ, we said we're going to do it through the Super Bowl, uh, Uncommon Unfinished. We are going to be looking to give away a copy. 
And, and like I said, I mean, we really, really appreciate it. I know, listen, BJ appreciates the feedback. People, the more feedback, the better. But yes, Uncommon Unfinished will be giving away a copy. Signed copy. Signed copies. And when I say signed, that is myself and BJ. And that is Uncommon Unfinished. You don't want my the BJ, look, man. The BJ store with BJ Bennett. Yes, BJ, they want you. You, BJ, you're a part of this thing. It's like, I'm just saying, if it was, if it was Uncommon I want, Unfinished. I want Ben Troop's autograph. Be, I, but, but we, hold on, BJ. Listen, one of us, on, I'm not going to say what a fan told you on this show. <laughs> I'm going to leave that. For another time, for another day. But yes, Uncommon and Unfinished, the Ben Troop story. With BJ Bennett, you will get a signed copy, the fourth color. We'll come back. We'll do that next. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. To have you back here with us, it is 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Coming up in Hour 2, Aaron Fit, D1Baseball.com. will join us. We'll talk SEC, ACC Baseball. Also, first day of Black History Month, just one black head coach in the National Football League. So we'll... Uh, discuss that moving forward. Brad Crawford, 247 Sports, uh, made his picks for the SEC in 2022. We will chat with him. Also, Kelvin Hunt, chopchat.com, uh, covers Florida State. We'll talk about their schedule in the ACC. And then the latest with the Jacksonville Jaguars, all kind of, you know, could Trent Baalke be moving to a new role? Uh, who are they interviewing now? Is there a timeline? So a lot to get to, uh, but we do want to give away another copy, a signed copy of Uncommon Unfinished. Yes, I, I think we've both got the phone number down right. Uncommon <laughs> and Unfinished, the Ben Troop story. And I know this is a really special project for it really, It really, really has been. Uh, BJ, I can't say thank you enough when you get ready to go uh, take on the journey and an undertaking like writing a book. I mean, uh, we we appreciated the journey, uh, the editing process. Tim, Timothy Bond and True Vine Publishing can't yes. say thank you enough to Tim of their Nashville, Tennessee. But – the fourth caller will get a signed copy of Uncommon Unfinished, the Ben Troop Store with BJ Brennan at 912-342-7184. That's 912-342-7184. That is a autographed signed copy of Uncommon and Unfinished, the Ben Troop Store with BJ Bennett. I mean, everybody has a story, and this is mine. And I'm super duper, uh, super duper humble that it that is out. I mean, uh, you know, BJ, I I, I don't know what BJ went through uh, having to, you know, uh, send me the uh Send me the, uh, you know, the different um, manuscripts or edits. Uh, well, what's interesting, in we've, yeah, we've talked about this with a lot of people. And again, 912-342-7184, 912-342-7184. But, um, you know, during the during the height of the pandemic, you and I didn't really see each other face-to-face yeah. Yeah. when working on a lot of this. Yes. Uh, so uh, it was a really interesting process. It was an honor for me to learn more about you. But, yes, a signed copy. And something that's exciting for me is yeah. for people to get to learn more about Ben Troop the person, not just Ben Troop the player. Absolutely, and I think sometimes uh, we we forget that there is a you know the the man behind the helmet, uh, uh, the the person behind the jersey number. And uh, BJ, you know it, it, you know obviously you know you was able to tell the story in a way that only you could when you talk about how you put the different chapters together. But I mean, it was super duper humming. I challenge any and everybody whoever uh, feels as though your story isn't compelling, trust me. Put it out there, man, and uh, the feedback we've been getting has been incredible. But, yes, the fourth caller will get a signed autographed copy of Uncommon Unfinished, The Being True Story with B.J. Bennett. The number is 912-342-7184. That's 912-342-7184. A autographed signed copy of Uncommon Unfinished, The Being True Story with B.J. Bennett. And like I said, man, super-duper humble to have done this. It's crazy, B.J., to know that this bad boy came out back in 2021. And, uh, you know, the, the feedback has been incredible. 912-342-7184. And again, appreciate everybody uh, for calling in. And I you will be proud of me. I mailed something by myself. The I, was about to say, I listen, mailed one of the books by myself. Listen, listen, it took it, it only took BJ his whole life to finally go to the mail to the to the post office by himself and probably walked in was like, uh I walked in and said, uh, I don't know what to do. I think I need a stamp. Like I don't 
Listen, I did miracles, it. miracles can happen. I mean, and now all we gotta do is get BJ to go past Alabama, and then we will be doing I went something. Went to Nashville. We well, went. Well, we ain't gonna talk about when we went to New York. <laughs> we'll come back. Three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. BJ Bennett, Ben Troop, Cam Urshery alongside. We'll come back and take three next. It is three and out. BJ Bennett back here with you alongside Cam Urshery. There he is. There he is. Ben Troop here alongside as well. Again on three and out. Hope you're doing well. Uh, what? I mean, you just I'm glad you can make time for me. No, 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 no. Listen, to try, see trying, to, trying to do too much in between the breaks. Sometimes I get caught up, but hey, man, it might it might have to listen. Bill paying day, but you know, we'll we'll get it right. Four o'clock, as we do every day at this time. Okay. We're not quite ready to play the fight. We're gonna take three <laughs> in just a second. And I, I look, I, I do the same thing when I'm running the board. I'm not quite ready. What uh-huh. are you doing? Talk it out. We are now ready. We're gonna take three here on three and out. Yeah, we're finally ready. <laughs> Take one, former Oklahoma Caleb Williams transfers. Former Oklahoma quarterback Caleb Williams transfers to USC. With Riley and Williams, should the Trojans be preseason top 10? I think I think they should be. And you have a lot of talent uh, with, 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 with USC. I think we were talking about schedules earlier in the show. I, I think when you look at SC's schedule, there's not three, four games where you look at it and say they can't win. I mean, you just got one of the best head coaches in college football in, in Lincoln Riley. You just got one of the best quarterbacks in college football in Caleb Williams. I know they've uh, added some other top players through the transfer portal as well. Now, I'm not in any way saying SC is going to be on the level of Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State. I think there's a clear difference between the top teams and maybe the teams that are Tier 2. But could 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 SC emerge as a top 10 team? Should they be preseason top 10? I'll buy that. I mean, we've seen in college football that the, the the quarterback head coach tandem is really, really important, and you you, you have it there. I mean, Caleb Williams is probably going to be one of the Heisman Trophy front runners. Uh, so I think I think yes, I will buy SC as a preseason top ten team. Yes, I was going to buy USC as a top ten team, even if Caleb Williams wasn't there. BJ, you look at the. Uh... I mean, I think I mean Lincoln Riley. You look at his uh, look at his resume of being able to develop top tier quarterbacks. I mean, the only guy that, that I can remember last that has back to back number one uh, number one overall picks and back to back Heisman's. But you look, Caleb Williams is the reason why Spencer Rattler is a gamecock now. Uh, Caleb Williams is is a, is a big reason why everybody was trying to see where was he going to land. I kind of like BJ. He kind of used his leverage to kind of test the market a little bit before he decided. To land over there at USC. But, yes, you talk about a USC team. Was The only question mark was who was going to be a quarterback. Because Caleb Williams was on campus right now, yes, those guys are going to be uh, t- uh, preseason top 10. And B.J. Dare I say, the only team that right now that's in their way might be might be Utah, might be the Oregon Ducks. Will they be preseason top 10? Yeah, because of the hype, obviously. Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley, I guess you could say, reunited at USC. I think they should be top 15. They are losing uh, Drake London, who's their best wide receiver, who's probably going to be the first wide receiver taken off the board this year. But, I mean, I'm excited for this because I think – I don't like to say USC is back because we saw what they did in the early 2000s. But, I mean, I think they have a chance to make the Rose Bowl this year. I want to say that's kind of the middle end. Their ceiling is college football playoff semifinals only because they're in the Pac-12. So, should they be top 10? No, but will they be? Yes. Take two, should the Bucks go after free agent, a uh, free agent quarterback, or is Kyle Trask the future in Tampa? I kind of think Ben is your guy's time, okay? Listen, I you probably expect a step back. Whatever you do. You're replacing Tom Brady. I don't think you're gonna be one of these Super Bowl favorites, even if you go out and spend money 
on a free agent quarterback. You're going to lose some other free agents as well. You're going into a little bit of a rebuild. It may be a mini rebuild, but you have a recent Super Bowl championship a couple of years ago. I mean, you're the defending champs right now. I think it's okay to rebuild for a couple of years. And in some ways, it it might be kind of defeating the purpose of that. If you go out and get like a Jimmy Garoppolo, I think you want to see what you have. And you drafted Kyle Trask with the set what the first pick of the second round. Yes. So he was essentially a first round pick. I mean, basically a first round pick. This guy had an incredible final season at Florida. You know, with the proficiency numbers. Remember, I'm thinking about that game against the Alabama and the SEC where he put up what 46 points against the Crimson Tide in Atlanta and uh you know an incredible offense with Kyle Pitts, but I think he is a guy that has paid his dues. He's now sat behind Brady and I think it makes sense given kind of where you are with the franchise. I don't know how much money you have to spend, but you're going to have a lot of questions. I think maybe you spend your money elsewhere and you say, Kyle Trask, we're going to give you a chance. We're going to give you a chance to be the guy. You were drafted very highly. You're a former superstar quarterback in the SEC, right? Right down the road at the University of Florida. A lot to like. Big, tall, what, 6'5", mm-hmm. can make all the throws. I've heard a lot of great uh, analysis about his arm ability. I think I think you give him a chance. I think you go with Kyle Trask. I do think you – it is Kyle Trask time, but I do think you bring in a veteran because you never ever want a guy to get comfortable. I don't think there is any, there's any, uh, you know, a better, uh, you know, a person to learn from than being, uh, you know, uh, under the tutelage of – you know, a guy a guy like Tom Brady. But the thing about Kyle Trask is he's using this situation. I mean, people look at what he became in Florida. He was he was he was gonna be fine never playing. I mean, Felipe Franks was the number one. I mean, and then you I mean you think about the fact that he was a guy that came in and uh never ever really looked back, ended up being a Heisman Trophy finalist. Uh BJ led led college football, I think, in touchdown passes uh in twenty twenty and all right, listen, I already got I already got a Super Bowl to his name, you know. I mean, even though he was a nothing, 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 nothing wrong with that in a place like Tampa. So I do think he's built for this. I mean, uh, and I and I think that sometimes being able to bring in the veterans is to kind of continue uh, mentoring him by letting him know, look, man, it's yours to go out there and get it done. You've seen what it's gonna take. You got a nice uh roster around you guys like Mike Evans. We'll see what happened with Leonard Fournette. But yes, it is Kyle Trash time. I just think that when you have to fill shoes, it's big. You know, uh, you know, as a Tom Brady, I think I, I don't think people are gonna be comparing him to the goat. But yes, I mean, you look at what you look at how Jimmy Garoppolo's uh, career is still going. But you look what how he ended up making a making a big time contract when he went to San Francisco. So we'll see what happened with Kyle Trask. But yes, Kyle Trask time is here. Yeah, we're three for three on that. Um, you don't draft him in the second round with the first pick for no reason. Um, you don't do that just to say, oh, we're not gonna use him the next year. He sat behind Brady for a reason this year to learn. Brady retires, now is your time. You're the heir apparent. And I got into arguments with people about this today. I mean, look what he did his last year with Kyle Pitts at Florida. They were the only team that gave Alabama a run for their money that year. They only lost, what what was yeah, it, was 50, 52 to 46. 46. If yeah. they'd have recovered the onside kick, yeah. they'd have had a chance. They had a chance, and it didn't look like Alabama was going to stop them. I mean, Kyle Trask, I think he's going to be a really good NFL quarterback. It's like what Ben said, though. That's pretty big shoes to fill. That's the greatest quarterback ever. I, don't, I hope... People are not expecting him to nah, fill those nah, shoes. Nah, 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 nah. I really hope not. But well, some of them will because that's how fans do. I do like what you said, though, as far as bringing in a veteran quarterback. You kind of need that to keep him on his toes, to not get comfortable. But NFC South wide open. Why not play him? I mean, what's the worst that could possibly happen? Ooh, the so, Falcons. Oh, don't, don't say that, man. Don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> they got the best quarterback in the left they, of the division. They, for now. <laughs> we'll see what happens in the offseason for now. But take three. This is a quarterback I think might be in the NFC South this year. Should Kenny Pickett hand size be a draft concern? 
I don't get some of this stuff. And I, of course, if you're going to draft a prospect in the first draft a prospect, you're going to you know do all the research possible. You're going to look at all the stats, Ben. I, you know the measurables. But it's not like he couldn't hold the football at Pitt. Come on. And I don't know if he has a small hand or what. Wasn't there something like he's double-jointed in his thumb or something? Yeah, yeah. But he was pretty good at throwing the football. He was extremely the good. football. Yes. Delivering the football yes. at Pitt. Uh, so good, in fact, that he was talked about as a Heisman Trophy candidate. Yes. And they won the ACC. And he was lighting up people like Clemson. So... I, before I say this, I, I don't want to sound. Is the NFL football bigger than the? No. Okay, it's the same. Right. That's what I thought. Now Tom Brady's so, back in the day, okay. his might be a little smaller. But but <laughs> it's not like all of a sudden there's this new ball you have to play with that is so much bigger. And how are you going to hold it? Kenny Pickett was one of the best quarterbacks in college football. He started for four years at Pitt. Never once in that time was there an issue with him dropping the ball or not being able to make throws or whatever the issue is. And I think he even said something like that in one of the interviews where he said, I, I played quarterback fine in college. I don't I don't get it. I know Kevin jokes all the time. Uh, there was a draft report about Johnny Manziel a couple of years ago that said like he had rounded shoulders. And you're like, what? What are we talking about here? Is, it, it, is your hand small? I don't know. Can you hold a football? Yes. Can you throw a football? Yes. Is this a worry? No. It's, yeah, I, I think, number one, I don't think it's a problem. I think it shows just how much we nitpick when it comes to top top tier quarterbacks, and they it's down to the most minute type thing. When you think about the fact that yes, look, my hands, we wouldn't even know he was double jointed, had his hand size not even come up. We, like BJ mentioned, Johnny Manziel in the round shoulders. I mean, what if what if his hand was too big, man? He can almost wrap his hand around the football. That's going to hurt with the trajectory, depending on if he plays in a cold weather city. No, it's ridiculous. Kenny Pickett is the reason why we didn't talk about Clemson all year. Kenny Pickett showed why. Listen, uh, stay in the course. I mean, BJ, he was in college. He's he's been in college a long time. Yeah, he was there a while. But I will say this: uh, his resume speaks for itself. Kind of like a Kyle Trask, waited his time, and then you know was was ready to step into a big time role. And I'm sorry, the defending Pitt Panthers uh, are, are the ACC champs because of Kenny Pickett. I think stuff like this is ridiculous. When people start talking about the pre-draft process, this is why I could never be a coach or have to deal with this nonsense. Hey man, he good, but. He got little hands. What? What? What do, you, what do you mean? Like, like, I'm, I, when I shook his hand, I engulfed his hand. I'm like, look, the biggest hands I've ever heard of ever in the National Football League with Javon Kirst, the freak. He could put a he could put a ruler in between his pinky and his thumb. That's how big his hands are, you know. But he's also known as the freak, right? Guess what? Kenny Pinky can throw a football. It's going from having little white stripes on each end to no stripes at all. <laughs> it's fine. I get sick of stuff like this. Nonsensical. Either draft him or not. But if you don't draft him because of his hand size, whatever franchise you are, you deserve to get the brakes beat off you when he plays you, and you deserve to lose. I hate hearing stuff like this. Um, didn't they say Kyler Murray was too small? Yep. How did that turn yeah, out? Yeah, how'd that work out? Um, even though Baker Mayfield is not a great quarterback, he's not a bad one either. They say he was too small. Yep. He's they got said the Russell, They said Russell Wilson was too small. Russell Wilson's too small. And then they said Lamar Jackson couldn't read defenses, mm. and he was too small. How did that turn out? MVP, future yep. MVP, Super Bowl champ, and we got an emerging star. All four of those quarterbacks. I, I don't understand it. If you could throw a football in college and break all the records that Kenny Pickett did and set records and be a cornerstone where he put Pitt on a national scene, that I haven't seen personally since I've been. Aaron Donald went to Pitt. Yep. I Larry Fitzgerald went to Pitt. Yeah, I didn't hear nothing about Pitt when Aaron Donald was at Pitt. You people talk, people talk about Antonio Brown. There was an Antonio Bryant. Brown. Bryant mm-hmm. that went to Pitt that also won the Belinda Yeah, won the Belinda Yes. Yeah. 
I'm telling you, you don't, you don't want to start doing pit stops. Yeah. Because we'll be here for a while. <laughs> oh, my God. Curtis uh, Martin. Dorset. Oh, my God. Uh, I mean, we, Dan Marino. What, I mean, what's, the, what's, the, what's the other? Oh, what's the cornerback that played for uh, that played for New England? He just went to the. Oh, oh, Ty Law. Ty Law. Listen, listen, listen. Listen, listen, listen. Yes, he did. And Ty Law and Ty Law and uh, Darrell Reeves are from the same town. Mm-hmm. Just listen. When we start talking about pit, pit Panther stars, it, it'll go for a while. And, there, and there's PJ walking in saying, listen. Y'all, that's enough talking about Pitt. What about the Penn State boys? <laughs> yeah, I, I just don't understand it, man. I, I I hope they're not taking this into account. Kenny Pickett can throw the football. All right, but let me ask you this, Cam. You said at the start of the question, a guy who might be in the NFC South. You thinking Atlanta or who you thinking? Oh no, New Orleans Saints. New Orleans oh, Saints. Oh no, we don't know. Yeah. His Actually, hands are too small. Yeah. He don't need to go. He don't need no, to go. Saints. I, I see. I see that. I think he, he. I think Malik Willis will be the first quarterback taken in this draft. I think Kenny Pickett will fall to the Saints. I think they're like at 18. That's where I think he'll be headed to. I mean, what about, uh, I mean, we're talking about quarterbacks. I mean, what about old Desmond Ritter? I mean, nah. You don't nah. like Desmond? I like Desmond, but I don't think he's ahead of Pickett, Corral. No, no, no. I mean, I mean, and some of these guys, uh, Willis, Pickett, um, I, I believe Sam Corral, Howell, uh, are all at the senior bowl this week. Yes, I so, think so, Pickett so. would be the third quarterback taken. I really do think L- that. Listen, I, all, all I'm saying is when you think about uh, Kenny Pickett is more the barometer of college football, being able to wait your time, being able to go out there and make things happen when you finally do. An incredible throw of the football. It's funny. The receiver, they have nothing to say about, you know what I'm saying, his hands. His offensive coordinator, they have nothing to say about his hands. Quarterback coach, head coach, teammates, draft experts. Ask hand Clemson. size. Come on, man. Ask Dabo Sweeney. How about his hand size? <laughs> yeah, not, not an issue. That's take three. We'll come back. The college baseball season is on the horizon. I think – what, half of the top, like 14, is out of the SEC? The ACC well represented as well. Aaron Fit, D1Baseball.com, will join us when we come back. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio. Glad to have you back here with us, 3 and Out. B.J. Bennett, Ben Troop, Cam Ursery alongside. I did want to point out we got a message from Christian during the break saying, Ben, the football is slightly bigger in circumference in the National Football League. I think, what, an inch and a half. Christian said, what? I mean, look, I, these these type of things to me are irrelevant to the fact. Christian, we appreciate this. We appreciate, uh, appreciate the knowledge, but... Kenny Pickett has been throwing. Guess what? Since he, he's been throwing in NFL football, since he's getting ready for the draft, he's probably been throwing in NFL football his whole life, if, we, if we're being honest. And, and, BJ, the last time you throw NFL football, you go, this feels a little heavier than what I'm used to. No, it's fine. Like He'll be fine. He'll be fine. I'm just saying, BJ, you a GM for the Jags. You know, and Trevor Lawrence is coming out. Do you not get it because, you know, the circumference of the football? Uh, you know, you're not, you're not worried about that. <laughs> the college baseball season on the horizon going to be a big year in the SEC in the ACC. With us now from D1Baseball.com, Aaron Fit. Aaron, good afternoon. How are you? Guys, I'm doing great. How are you guys? Doing wonderful. Thanks so much for coming on. Uh, as we look at the preseason polls and we start to uh, look at some of the top teams in the country, uh, could we see five, six, seven of the top teams in the country come from the SEC? Yeah, that's kind of business as usual for that league. I mean, it's, it's kind of it's nuts how good they are year after year. And I think we've got uh, uh, six, I think, SEC teams in our preseason top ten for the first five. Uh, Arkansas, Vandy, Mississippi State, Ole Miss leading the way. And then LSU and Florida right there uh, not far behind. I mean, it, it's nuts. You know, the top of the league is really, really strong. And, and as usual, it's deep. I mean, there's teams 
you know, outside that group. I mean, you look at Kentucky, I think they're dangerous. Nobody's going to pick them to make a regional, but they could definitely, could definitely crack that, that, that barrier. And South Carolina, uh, another team kind of lying in the weeds. I mean, A&M, some of these, these clubs that aren't even in the top group, you put them in any other league and they're real contenders. It's just so hard to make headway in the SEC. And Aaron, I mean, even even sticking with that, I mean, how hard is it just to make it through your own schedule? I know it's all about you know hosting those super regionals once you get to that point, but how hard is it? How hard is it once you actually get in the SEC play, just making out of that? Oh, it's it's a beast. I mean, really, uh, people like to say that winning the SEC tournament is, is harder than winning the College World Series, and I could see that a little bit because it's just a it's just a battle royale, you know, for a week, and everybody, all those teams are so good. Uh, it, it's a uh, Getting through, you know, a 14-week grind in the SEC, um, it, it, you know, there's a reason the SEC does so well in the postseason right now. It's because these teams are so battle-tested by, by going through that meat grinder. Aaron, what are your expectations for the, uh, for the Georgia Bulldogs coming up this season? Yeah, really high on Georgia. I mean, it's a team that um, was a little disappointing last year. I mean, they were, they were built to win big in 2020. They, uh, I think they were ranked two or three in the country when the season was canceled. They lose a couple of first-rounders on the mound in your rotation, and so we figured there'd be a little bit of a step back, but they were still maybe one win away from getting into a regional last year, and they were right there on the bubble, um, and they got a lot back. I mean, it's just an older group of position players. You, know, you got a bunch of fourth- and fifth-year guys like the Tate brothers and um, you know, Josh McAllister's a winning player. They, they got those kind of guys. Maybe there's not as much sexy you know, prospect power. Uh, in that lineup, aside from Corey Collins, who I think is a real big-time dude, a, a first-round caliber bat, the rest of those guys are just winning players. And uh, I think the pitching, is, is that stands out. You know, you've got Jonathan Cannon, who's one of the best pitchers in the league, I think. Uh, could be a first-round pick this year. I mean, it's a, it's a guy who's got stuff and throws strikes. You know, if you look at where he commands his zone, it's, it's impressive. Um, I'm expecting a huge year out of him as their Friday night starter. And uh, you're bringing in Dylan Ross, who's uh, probably the top junior college transfer arm in the country this year. Saw him in the fall. It was, uh, it was lights out, you know, 94, 96 with a wipeout breaking ball. So he'll probably step into a starting role. You got Liam Sullivan, a lefty that I think is coming on strong as a sophomore. And, uh, it's a very deep pitching staff, lots of power arms. Uh, I think they, they, this is the hungry team that is, uh, uh, lying in the weeds just a little bit because they missed regionals last year. People aren't probably thinking about them as one of the top contenders in the SEC, but I think they're very dangerous. Uh, can Florida get back to their winning ways, and what do you think is going to be the strength of that team this year? Yeah, Florida's loaded. I mean, you know, last year, it's funny, we think last year was a down year for Florida. They still hosted a regional, you know, and they, they just went down quietly 0-2 in the regional, but um, this, this program is rolling when it comes to recruiting. They brought in the first or second best group of freshmen in the country this year, along with UCLA. Um, the key for them will be how those young arms grow up because they're going to rely on those guys a lot. You know, Pierce Coppola, big six foot eight lefty, kind of looks like an Andrew Miller type, you know, that low slot slinger. Uh, it's electric, though. I mean, it's, you know, it's 93, 96, and it, it strikes, um, which is not hard. You know, it's not often you see that from a guy that big as, as a true freshman. Even Andrew Miller, when he was a freshman in North Carolina, I mean, it, it takes some time to learn how to repeat your delivery, and he can do it. Um, so I think he's going to be a star. And Philip Abner might step right into the, the, the closer job as a true freshman. So uh, those freshman arms are really key for Florida. It's going to be an elite offensive team, uh, very, very good defensive team, ton of, of name-brand prospects back in that lineup. So uh, I have no question at all they're going to hit a ton. Aaron Fitt, D1Baseball.com, here with us on 3 and Out. Over in the ACC, 
Uh, maybe not as top-heavy as the SEC, but who are the some of the top teams in that league? Yeah, ACC looks like, uh, I don't know, kind of wide open to me. I don't think there's a clear-cut favorite. We've got NC State, Florida State, Notre Dame is maybe the top tier. Georgia Tech, not that far behind. Duke, Miami. Uh, for me, that's the top six. And uh, I think Florida State, with their pitching, um, you know, it's right there for me with Texas is probably the best pitching staff in the country. It's just absolutely loaded um, with Parker Messick, the ACC Pitcher of the Year, leading the way, and you know Bryce Hubbard you know, is a strikeout machine. Another lefty, you get a great Cape Cod League summer. I think he's going to have a huge year. Um, Carson Montgomery is a sophomore. I mean, there's just a, a lot of guys that uh, they can run at you. Very, very deep pitching staff. Just a matter of can they, you know, can they improve offensively and defensively because they were not very good in either of those areas last year. But brought in some good, you know, transfer pieces to plug some holes and uh, a nice group of freshman position players that'll that'll help a little bit. So I think they should be improved in that area. And if that happens, I think they're the team to beat. Uh, but NC State coming off an Omaha run, um, a lot of a lot of you know tough pieces to replace in that lineup. Especially you've got a freshman at shortstop, a freshman catcher. You know that's always a little bit of a red flag. You'd like to have experience in those two positions, but um, they're they're very good. You know, freshmen. So, uh, if those guys can can hold their own, I think NC State will be fine. They're going to hit a lot, like they always do. Uh, another team that brought in some really good transfers and uh, and a really good one-two punch in the rotation coming back, and Sam Heisel and Matt Willardson. So, you know, they're going to be hungry after what happened in Omaha last year. They're one win away from the finals and they have a COVID outbreak uh, that ends their season. It's the worst possible way to have your season end. Uh, you know, they're going to be hungry, and, and I think they're certainly dangerous again. Every year, I mean, a team emerges, you know, uh, in the ACC. I mean, could Georgia Tech be that team this year? You mentioned them being like a kind of middle-of-the-pack team. I mean, could you see them kind of having a resurgent-type season this year? Yeah, they're, listen, this, this team is going to score a ton of runs. They might lead the country in scoring. I think it's, you know, probably on the short list of candidates, Ole Miss, maybe Arkansas, some of those kind of teams. Georgia Tech, uh, offensively, is just loaded. You know, so much power. Um, they even got speed. You, you throw this Chandler Simpson kid in there, shortstop, transfer from UAB. I mean, it's, it's blazing fast. He, he can really, really change the game on the base path, like, uh, kind of like Enrique Bradfield did for Vanderbilt last year. But uh, he's going to be a lot of fun to watch. So they're going to score a ton. Just a matter of, you know, will the pitching and defense improve? Um, kind of the opposite of Florida State. Uh, I, I think that there's, there's a lot of upside on the mound. I mean, Marquise Grissom Jr., um, he's got a chance to be a big star, but he's got to prove it. He can, can he be the Friday guy? Uh, you got Zach Maxwell, who's a just giant human being that throws 99 miles an hour and um, has had trouble throwing strikes to this point in his career. He'll move from the, the bullpen into a rotation role. Can he do it? Can he throw enough strikes? Um, I mean, it's uh, certainly got the stuff to dominate. But those are, those are the big question marks. It's, it's those guys on the mound, and will the infield defense perform better than it did last year because it was a little shaky. Aaron Fitt, D1Baseball.com, as he started the college baseball season on the horizon. Finally, uh, Georgia Southern right down the road from us. What type of season do you expect in the Sun Belt? Yeah, Sun Belt, another league that feels pretty wide open. I don't know that there's a clear favorite in that league. I mean, South Alabama was the regional last year, but they lost a lot. Um, I think Coastal Carolina will be improved. They've, uh, uh, they've had kind of a disappointing run since winning the national championship. They joined the Sun Belt right after, and I don't 
you know, I think they made maybe one regional since then. I mean, it's really not been the same kind of program, but I feel like they're dangerous. And, uh, and Georgia Southern lost a couple of big transfers. Um, but I, I do like some of the, the firepower they've got back in that lineup. It seems like that program, they always score runs. Um, and I would expect that they're going to do that again. It's, it's, a, it's a team that, you know, they're, they're so well coached by Rodney Hannon. Um, they, know how to, they know how to teach offense down there. And, and uh, uh, we'll, we'll see if they've got enough pitching. You know, I think you need a big year from Ryan Watson uh, as a fourth-year guy. They, they think he's a big breakout candidate. Velocity's kind of jumped in that 90-94 range. Um, good slider. So he, he had a six-and-a-half area next last year. So he needs to be a lot better. And if he can, and you know, Trey Horton, another veteran guy, uh, if these guys can take steps forward now, they've got the experience. Uh, they just got to give them quality innings. And, and I think the offense will take care of the rest. We'll have some college baseball in just a couple of weeks. Aaron Fit, D1Baseball.com. Our guest, Aaron, thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. All right, guys, you got it. And, Ben, I know SEC football, you think about the dominance there. Uh, and, their, and their D1 baseball poll, he said six of the top ten teams in the country, four of the top five out of the SEC. Yeah, uh, BJ, I mean, the one, the, what, what, they, uh, what the ACC is in basketball, that's what the SEC is in football and baseball now. And he mentioned, uh, obviously, you talk about what Mississippi State did last year. You talk about you talk about our Georgia, Florida, LSU, uh, Vanderbilt with that pitching. I think, I think Vanderbilt. Yeah, Vanderbilt yeah. with that pitching. But I, I think, too, BJ, man, it shows that when you talk, when you talk about, uh, we talk about uh, these, uh, these ADs at these schools, they have to you – know, it's bigger than just football season, right? It'd be basketball, it'd be baseball, but you already know hosting those super regionals, it, you know, uh, you know, is the key. But uh, the Mississippi State boys, how do they deal with being the hundred BJ getting that, you know, getting that national championship last year in a COVID-stricken season? Shout out to them Bulldogs, man. Can the Bulldogs from Athens have something to say about that this year? Yeah, we appreciate. It. We had uh, Danny Hall and Scott Strickland yeah. on the last yeah. couple of weeks. Today's the first day of Black History Month. Remains just one black head coach in the National Football League. We'll come back and discuss that. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. He's just one black head coach in the National Football League, uh, and for for some time now, you've not seen coaches with with incredible resumes. Minority coaches, black coaches, uh, get opportunities to be head coaches. And uh, Cam, you were you were telling us, Ben, you were you you were telling us as we went to break some breaking news on this front regarding a lawsuit with former Dolphins coach Brian Flores. Give us the details there. Yeah, Brian Flores, he files a lawsuit against the NFL, suing the NFL, the Dolphins and Giants and Broncos for alleged racism and hiring practices. And also, he also reveals that text messages between him and Bill Belichick where Belichick accidentally sent him a message and it shows the Giants' job was already filled before the before his interview process even started. I mean, I'm looking at, I'm looking at, you know, for those number number one, uh, when you think about Brian Flores, uh, you know, when you think about guys like uh, D'Amico Ryan's, I mean, I, I mean, uh, uh, you know, Eric Bieniemy is probably going to go through an, another coaching cycle without getting hired. A lot of times, people be thinking, man, maybe it's just, maybe it's just smoke, maybe just like we, you know, guys aren't. Here's an actual text message from Brian Flores and Bill Belichick. Giants, that's that's uh. That's um that's Bill Belichick. Brian Flores says, I interview on Thursday. I think I have a shot at it. Bill Belichick says, got it. He said, I hear from Buffalo and New York, and that's the Giants, that you are the guy. Hope it works out if you want it to. Uh, that's definitely what I want. You know, you know, hope you're right, Coach. Thank you. Coach, are you talking to Brian Flores or Brian DeBall? Just making sure. Sorry. I, you know, bleep this up. I double-check and misread the text. I think they are naming DeBall. I'm sorry about that. This is the problem, though. Who is Brian DeBall? The reason why it should be silence is 
You mean to tell me Bill Belichick, who hired Brian Flores on his, who he was on his staff? You don't know you're talking to Brian Flores? And I think sometimes, too, right? This is what I can appreciate about Brian, Brian uh, Flores. This is Brian Flores, who comes from immigrant, immigrant parents, right? He said this. He said, when people start talking about, like, you know, why you love coaching different things, he said, this is why. This, this is the same Brian Flores who supported his players when they was taking the knee. He said, I don't got to understand everything to understand what my players are doing, right? He understands as a head coach, he has to, he has to be very, very calculated in his words. He reached out to, he reaches out to Bill Belichick because, number one, he shouldn't have been fired from the Dolphins. I mean, it, that shouldn't have even happened. But now he's the only head coach. They say, they say today, I think, uh, he's getting interviewed at the Senior Bowl by, uh, by the New Orleans Saints. We'll see what happens uh, with that. But it takes an active coach. Or, or you know, a coach that's, that's uh, been a head coach in National Football League to tell the truth. This isn't this isn't something I don't I don't like the narrative of. It seems like we out here begging and things of that nature. No, Bill Belichick, the greatest coach who ever coached in the National Football League, depending on who you ask, is thinks he's talking to Brian DeBall. No, you know who you talking to. Then that the whole thing about it is think about that. Bill Belichick knows that the Giants already got their guy, and they still bringing guys in. So the whole Rooney Rule, BJ, something you're talking about, doesn't even work. Rooney Rule is so that minority candidates get opportunity. An opportunity to me is not an interview. That's not an opportunity. That's an interview. An opportunity is congratulations, you the new head coach. That's an opportunity because people take interviews every day. And I think what happens right now is we start seeing the fact that when you start talking about being a, you know, uh, you know, a person of color, a coach of color in the National Football League, they can't get past that. It is 2022, and there is one black coach. 2022. So when people start saying progress, right? Is it progress? I mean, be, I mean, listen, Terry Fontenot, you know, GM, uh, you know, uh, for the for the you know uh, for the Falcons, was GM for 18 years for the New Orleans Saints. Um, I can't remember the new GM name they just got from the Chicago Bears. Uh, the GM they just got for uh, for Minnesota, man. I mean, brilliant guy. You know, another person of color. The reason why we celebrate those things because they're rare. We still have to. We still can count on one finger how many black head coaches there are in the National Football League, and Mike Tomlin benefited from the franchise he's at because Mike Tomlin is a hell of a coach. He's one of only three other, you know, on, on three other coaches actually been head coaches, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, in uh, in the history of the Pittsburgh Steelers. But it, it bothers me because Brian Flores is a good coach. He was a good coach in a bad situation. Tua, they say the thing was he didn't want to or the GM wanted to. It was a power struggle. Well, I was with the Tennessee Titans when Jimbo Fisher did not want Vince Young. The uh, owner, Bud Adams, did. He wanted uh, Matt Liner. And you see what happens. So, for me, I mean, uh, I I, I applaud you, Coach Flores, because he's not doing this for him. He's doing it for coaches who I guarantee you, John Gruden gets fired because of the text message and they get rid of the rest of them. Think about that. John Gruden got fired because what he said, and it it was, I don't know how many other text messages, we couldn't see those. Why? Because it implicates owners, GMs, other head coaches, other front staff people. But Brian Flores, man, I hope this thing comes out. And if it's the Dolphins, if it's the Giants, who's ever involved, man, I hope they get the fullest, the fullest, uh, the 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 best, you know, uh, and uh, and harshest um, consequence possible. Because you're talking about people's livelihood. Uh, this is disgusting. Um, I've said it on numerous occasions. Um, I'm not going to get too deep into it, but black African American coaches whichever one you want to go for, they get reclamation project jobs. If you look in the NBA, um, look, Mark Jackson, he's the one that inherited Golden State and started Golden State. He gets fired, Steve Kerr gets a job. Then if you look at Kevin Silas in Houston, as soon as he lands in Houston, who does he lose? James Harden, 
loses Russell Westbrook. Masai Ujiri is the only black president in the NBA. Dwayne Casey is a coach of the year in the NBA, got fired the exact same year he won coach of the year. Brian Flores starts this year 1-7. and seven. He finishes the, finishes the season 9-8. and eight. That's the first time in NFL, season, NFL history. Yeah, he did an incredible. Yeah. yeah. First time in NFL history a coach finishes the season on a winning record starting 1-7. and seven. The year before that, he goes 10-6. He's one game away from making it to the playoffs with two as his quarterback, and he wanted Deshaun Watson. Well, Ryan Fitzpatrick is his freaking backup. And, and, and yeah. Ryan Fitzpatrick as his backup. He wanted Deshaun Watson. He wanted Herbert. The year before that, tell me Brady's last um, loss in the regular season as a Patriot. Who was it to? Miami. The Miami Dolphins. Why, did they get, why didn't they get home field advantage that year? Because they lost to Brian Flores and Miami Dolphins. Remember, they finished that season 5-11. and 11. They were calling that the worst team in NFL history at one point when they started off 0-8, and eight, and they got embarrassed by Lamar Jackson and them. It's just disgusting that this is a guy that's not qualified, not just only qualified, but he's a great coach. I really think he's going to be a great coach. And it's like you have the Bears, you have struggling franchises that's not even giving him opportunities. Now, I, I'm an Atlanta fan, and this is what even makes me hurt even more. It, if he get an interview with New Orleans, it's like, dang, now we got to deal with Brian Flores in New Orleans. Like, But staying on topic about that, it's just – we black black coaches in general in sports don't get a fair shot. And I'm not saying there's not, you know, white coaches out there that don't know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that. Mm-hmm. But it's the black coaches that they're qualified and they're getting the short end of the state. Eric Bienemy. He's qualified. This is the new greatest show on turf. The Kansas City Chiefs. Who's the offensive coordinator? Eric Bienemy. I just don't understand it. And this is disgusting. But shout out to Brian Flores for speaking up for himself. Yes. I'm like, you know, I'm not I'm not sweeping this yes. under the rug. Yes. We're going to call you out, and we're yes. going to handle it like that. Yes, and you mentioned uh, Eric Bieniemy. I mean, what more could you have on on your resume? What more could you have? It's an incredible resume, an incredible track record. Has had success everywhere he's been. Mm-hmm. And like you said, Ben, are we going to go through yet another hiring cycle where Eric Bieniemy, the top offensive coordinator in the National Football League, was Super Bowl, where Eric Bieniemy is not going to get a job? Yeah, I think it is, BJ. And even even uh, this thing about Eric Bieniemy, Andrew Reid had to come out publicly and say he the one to call the plays because they was want to get they was they was want to give it to Andy Reid. What I, once again, man, this is this is much bigger than just the coaching thing itself. I mean, the whole thing about it is, I mean, when you when you know when you watch uh, when you when you watch a uh, Sports Center, right? You go all the way back to Stuart Scott. Look at the personality he brought to it. Not saying he was the best. He brought the personality, or the Stephen A. Smith, or the Shannon Sharp, or the Sam Acho, or the Emmanuel Acho, or the Ryan Clark, or the Marcus Spears, or the Marcellus Wiley. And the list goes on and on. Representation matters because the bulk of your team has black and brown skin, right? Yet the head coach, rare. Presidents, even rare. GMs, even more rare. And I think sometimes you, I think you mentioned um, uh, the president or the GM for the Toronto, right? You know. From Africa, won a chip, right? Couldn't even get on the court to celebrate with the team when they won it. I'm just telling y'all, it's the imagery that it shows, man. It's it comes out, it comes off as they're not good enough. No, no, no. Just imagine for a second. Just flip it. The whole every every owner in the National Football League is black. White guys can't get head coaching jobs. People are going to be livid. What, why now? Listen, it's a good old boy. It's, 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 it's you know, uh, it's cronyism, right? Nepotism. Uh, and I think sometimes, BJ and Cam, you, you say to yourself, are we making progress? The answer is yes and no. Yes, we are making progress, but Mike Tomlin is the exception. Yeah, he is. He is the exception. He's never had a losing season. Think about this. Uh, Coach Thompson, 
uh, you know what, uh, the great coach Thompson from Georgetown. I mean, there, there's a clip of him saying, look, man, I don't want to, why do I got to be the best there is to even get a shot? When, as you mentioned, Cam, listen, man, our white counterparts, they get to straight up just be bad at their job and get and get a, and get a head coach Cliff job. I give, you, I give you Adam Gase. Left, left Miami, wasn't good, got to go to New York. I am saying, give it time, right? Give it time. Two, two African-American coaches, Levy Smith, you know, uh, and then and then uh, yep. Tony Dungy, best friends, play yep. play the Super Bowl. Super Bowl. I, all, all I'm all I'm saying is we're not begging for anything. The resume mm-hmm. speaks for itself. Brian Flores is doing something nobody has ever done, and he gets fired. Right? Rich Passaccia has only been an interim head coach. He's getting head coaching opportunities. Right? All I, all I'm saying is people said Josh McDaniels was the coach in waiting with Bill Belichick. He's the head coach of the Raiders now. I I'm just saying when you start thinking about. It, if Josh McDaniels is a better play caller than Eric Bieniemy, because Eric Bieniemy went to four straight AFC championships, I'm just saying if, if Josh McDaniels went to four AFC championship games, he would he would have been a head coach. So maybe it ain't the resume, you know. Maybe it's something else. We'll see what happens. But Brian Flores, I applaud you, sir, for doing more to just speak up for them coaches right now. I will say this: Cliff Kingsbury, he's the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. He had Mahomes in college. He couldn't win eight games with Patrick Mahomes as your quarterback. Mm. Get the head coaching gig with Kyle Matt Murray, Texas Tech. Um, Matt Lafleur. 29th Wraith offense in Tennessee. You get a head coaching gig with who? Green Bay, mm-hmm. Aaron Rodgers. Mm-hmm. I don't understand it. Eric Bieniemy, Lovey Smith gets fired after a winning season. Jim Caldwell gets fired after a winning season. In Detroit. In Detroit. <laughs> in Detroit, you get a winning season, you get fired. After that, I'm, I don't understand it. I'm lost. Give it back to you, BJ. I'm just, that, it, it's, it's just disturbing seeing that today, especially with somebody like Brian Flores who could actually curve. Coach. Oh, powerful perspective, guys. We'll come back with more three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Back here with you on three and out. BJ Bennett alongside Ben Troop and Cam Urshery. And uh, National Signing Day tomorrow, guys. Cam, I know you're going to be uh, getting some um, interviews and uh, heading to some schools tomorrow. But Ben, take us back the night before National Signing Day. Do you still do, do, do you oh, still man. remember? Twenty two years ago. Uh, you know, seventeen years old. Uh, just going to bed the night before, really not, really knowing that I'm going to wake up the next day and sign my national letter of intent to go to the University of Florida. I didn't realize how big it was till you leave your school, come back into your, uh, you know, high school library. Myself, um, Carlos Rogers who signed at Auburn, and Isaac West who signed at Furman, and uh, you know, a couple of, you know, a couple of, uh, you know, Georgia boys, man, just trying to make their dreams come true. Was blessed enough to be on the front cover, on the front page of the sports section in the Augusta Chronicle the next day. But, hey, man, best decision I made going back uh, 22 years, man, I'll make the same decision today. And I know it's a lot of work for these student athletes to have an opportunity to sign. And I think Christian told me uh, earlier today we will have dozens of players from the 912 sign college scholarships tomorrow. And, Cam, you're going to be out and about. Yeah, I'll be at Jenkins High School, New Hampstead, and Benedictine, the state champions. I'll be at both all three of those high schools, the coverage. Ben, the process, what it takes to sign a college scholarship, I, I, I know you say it all the time. You're always so proud of the student athletes and just everybody involved. It takes a lot to make this happen. It really does. I'm going to tell every single student athlete that signs tomorrow, I don't care where you sign. I don't care if it's Division One, Division Two, Division Three, Division One, AA, HBCU, NAIA. Make sure that every single person, that had any anything to do with you signing, that you say thank you. Because I'm telling you, it's not the people that you knew was making calls for you and helping you get on the recruiting the recruiting cycle. It's the one that you didn't know was doing it. So, man, make sure you reach out to them to say thank you, man, because Cam knows, just like a lot, 7% of high school sports go to, go to college. That's all sports, 7%. 
You are a part of that 7%. Make sure you say See, you had to go way back to remember National Signing Day. Cam Dutton. I mean, Cam, that was just a couple years ago, man. You had to go way back. <laughs> listen, 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 at the end of the day, I've been talking to Cam. <laughs> Cam like, yeah, my dad was in school around the time. Yeah, we don't, and the conversation just ends. Yeah, Ben told me his age right there, so I'm glad I know. But for me, what, it's 2022. That was six. I'm getting old now. That was six years Woo. ago. Listen, listen, I, I, listen, listen, I signed my letter. I signed my national letter of intent two years after Cam was born. <laughs> wow. On that note, we'll come back. Final hour of three and out. Brad Crawford from two, uh, 247 Sports. He has made his picks record-wise for all of the teams in the SEC. Uh, what does he have Georgia doing? Alabama. We'll get into that. Also, Kelvin Hunt from ChopChat.com uh, will join us. The ACC schedules are out. We'll talk about Florida State schedule. They have an early season game with LSU. And Florida State, Florida, Ben, is now going to be played on a new day. We'll tell you about that, and we'll see if there's uh, an update on the Jacksonville Jaguars at this point. Who knows? I know there were some tweets earlier today about Trent Baalke and could he potentially move to a different role. Who knows? We'll come back with more 3 and Out. Have you back. Final hour of 3 and Out. B.J. Bennett, Ben Troop, Cam Urshery alongside. A lot to get to here in the final hour. College football schedules are out. We'll chat with Kelvin Hunt of ChopChat.com. Florida State and Florida uh, changing things up a little bit, so we'll talk about that in just a few minutes. But with us now, made some SEC record predictions already. We're not in spring practice yet, but we have record predictions, and I like it. From Brad Crawford, 247 Sports. Brad, good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. How are you? Thanks for having me, man. Very busy day in football world, that's for sure. Yeah, and I, look, Georgia, I think the, the, the obvious place to start here. Uh, a national championship for the first time in 41 years. How do you think the dogs do defending that national championship looking ahead to 2022? Yeah, I think just like the 2021 season, the schedule sets up favorably for Georgia. You know, we look back at last year, the game against Clemson in the opener was the toughest game, and Georgia has another tough game in September against Oregon in Atlanta. You know, that'll be a matchup of top 15 teams. Georgia probably number two in the preseason, Oregon somewhere in that you know, 12 to 15 range under former Bulldogs, D.C., Dan Lanning taking over the Ducks. So I think Georgia has a lot coming back on both sides of the ball. There there are some noticeable NFL draft departures, but, you know, Stetson Bennett back at quarterback and some certainly some uh, high-profile players on defense. I think the preseason win total will probably be about 11.5 for Georgia, and I think they'll be unbeaten in the regular season. Will Anderson back, Bryce Young back. Alabama, I mean, what, number one, number two, top recruiting class in the country. How do they fare next year in 2022? Yeah, i tell you what, man. It sure sets up for another Bama-Georgia showdown in December in Atlanta, doesn't it? I mean, probably the top two teams in the country that are going to be ranked in September. As you mentioned, Alabama has the two faces of college football really on both sides of the ball with, you know, Heisen winner Bryce Young back and Will Anderson, a guy who I think is the best player in college football overall, no matter what position. So, Bama's a team that has to get better up front along the offensive line. I think we saw some issues there against Georgia in the uh, final championship game where, you know, Bryce Young was not protected well, and they do lose Evan Neal, a probable top five pick. So, you know, the preseason win total on Alabama is probably the same number of Georgia, probably 11.5. And, and, you know, unless Alabama stubs its toe against the Texas A&M or maybe a road game at LSU, I think the Crimson Tide will probably uh, skate through that 12-game regular season slate unbeaten, too. Brad Crawford, 247 Sports, here with us on 3 and Out. Uh, with both those teams, before we look at some other projections, how, how, how large is the gap? I guess more so in the East, but when you look at Georgia in the East, when you look at Alabama in the West, 
Uh, are they not only considerable favorites, but overwhelming favorites? Yeah, I think Georgia's the overwhelming favorite on the east side. Um, obviously, Kentucky has a lot coming back. They had, they had three guys who they thought would either transfer or go pro return. Chris Rodriguez at running back, along with Bossier Smoke and Will Levis at quarterback. Kentucky's a team who can probably finish with eight or nine wins and, and maybe challenge Georgia, but you know probably not. South Carolina obviously getting Spencer Rattler at quarterback. You know, they, they, they've kind of turned things around there. Shane Beamer entering year two. And then you look at uh, Tennessee, you know, really surpassed expectations in Josh Heifel's first season. I think Florida's kind of a mixed bag right now with Billy Napier entering his first season as coach. You know, I've, I've got Florida 6-6 six and six regular season. That's, you know, not where the Gators want to be, but they'll certainly be better than that, you know, down the road under Napier. But on the other side of the SEC, you know, is this the year Texas A&M really supplants Alabama? as the top team in that division. That's that's the million-dollar question. I mean, according to our rankings at 24-7 Sports, A&M's going to sign one of the top recruiting classes ever, and they're going to finish that up Wednesday on National Signing Day. So, you know, Jimbo Fisher's on that, you know, gargantuan 10-year deal with the Aggies, and if he doesn't make the Final Four, you know, this season or next, there's, there's going to be some hot seat murmurs in College Station because he certainly has the roster to get there. I mean, you mentioned Florida going 6-6 six and six with a guy like Billy Napier. Obviously, he comes over from Louisiana with an incredible resume. I mean, uh, is, there, is, there, is there a couple of games in that 6-6 six six maybe they can put a scare in a team? And does he have to – I mean, does he have to beat a team or even make a competitive, uh, you know, uh, up there in College Station and definitely uh, in Jacksonville this year? Yeah, I think the first month of the season for Billy Napier at Florida is going to be very important. You know, they, they open against Utah, probably the Pac-12 favorite. Maybe not now that USC has gotten – Caleb Williams, quarterback from Oklahoma. But, you know, Utah's going to be a top-ten team. And then the SEC opener is in week two against Kentucky. And that's that's the game where, you know, Florida usually wins at home against the Wildcats. But, you know, Kentucky may have the better roster in, in 2022, and Florida might be a home dog there. And then to, to end that opening month, they play at Tennessee. So there's, there's going to be three games out of four for Billy Napier in his first month of the season at Florida where, you know, Florida might not be favored. So maybe a – Maybe a two and two type start might be a best case scenario for Florida. And then you mentioned A and M, man, on the other side, the SEC West. I mean, you know, they're gonna have a new quarterback this season, Haynes King. You know, he he was a starter last year before he got hurt, leading to, you know, Zach Calzada taking over. But A and M plays Miami in week three. First year coach Mario Cristobal taking over the Canes. That's that's kinda of one of my top ten non conference games to watch next season. And uh that's a huge game for both those programs, especially Miami trying to get back to some you know, national notoriety. Brad Crawford, 247 Sports, has uh, projections, record projections for the SEC uh, up. Go check those out. And uh, South Carolina, you mentioned Spencer Rattler, the Gamecocks, a moment ago, had the, had the bowl win, had an impressive season compared to what the expectations were. What's the potential next step for South Carolina, and what do you see them doing this fall? Yeah, I think the next step is, they're going to have to try to jump over, you know, the Tennessee and Kentuckys of the world to be a true competitor in the SEC East. I mean, everybody right now, Gamecocks included, is, you know, chasing Georgia. Georgia recruits at a level that no other program in the SEC East does. And Shane Beamer's doing what he can. You know, they, they've signed seven guys out of the portal. I think South Carolina's going to have a top-five transfer class. And Spencer Rattler, going back to his high school recruiting ranking, I mean, this is going to be the highest-rated quarterback South Carolina has ever had suit up for them. So it's going to be a very important for them to get off to a hot start. I know they, they play at Arkansas in week two, and then they host Georgia in week three. So 
I mean, the Gamecocks might be a top 25 team, you know, exiting the first month of the season if they're able to split those games against the Hogs and Bulldogs. But it's going to be a lot to ask. You know, South Carolina is a team that they finished seven and six this season. You know, they they may have the same record next year, but still be a better football team if that makes sense. So the the schedule's tough, but I certainly think the Gamecocks should be pretty exciting on offense with Spencer Rattler back there at quarterback. I mean, what are realistic expectations in uh, in Auburn this season? Coach Harson, obviously, that turnover with his uh, coordinators, but in Bo Nix, I mean, he's out, he's he's gone. What is, what are realistic expectations for those guys in Auburn? Yeah, I tell you what, man, I took some flack for taking Auburn to finish five and seven, and that story came out a few weeks ago. And now that Brian Harson's OC left this week, and you know he he has some other other uh, issues on staff. Derek Mason stepping down, taking the defensive coordinator position at Oklahoma State. I mean, here we are approaching National Signing Day, and Auburn does not have a coordinator on either side of the football. So there's certainly some issues for Brian Harson right now entering his second season. Um, it's a very tough slate. You know, they're going to host Penn State in week three, travel to uh, Georgia and Ole Miss in October, back-to-back weeks, and then there's always that Iron Bowl at the end of the year that's been been pretty tough on the Tigers the last couple of years. And this year they play Alabama in Tuscaloosa. So, you know, I, I only see five or six wins for Harson and, to be honest with you, that's not going to cut it on the Plains. I, I think if he gets to a bowl game at 6-6 six and six next season and, and maybe loses that postseason game, you know, we may have another job vacancy in the SEC. Brad Crawford, 247 Sports. Check out his work there uh, with the record projections for the SEC. Brad, thanks so much for the time. Thanks a lot, fellas. And if you're a dog fan, hey, fresh off a national championship, how about 12-0? and 0? And, and Brad's right, on paper um, – Guys, not a not a schedule where you look at it and go, we're going to be in trouble there. I mean, Georgia is going to be favored against just about anybody. But Oregon in week one, that's in Atlanta. Dan Lanning coming back. The storyline's there. But, Ben, with all due respect, the Gators in Jacksonville, I mean, you heard it from Brad there. Auburn probably going to be down. Florida's probably going to take a year or two. I mean, it's hard to look at Georgia's schedule, and it feels good to be talking about uh, record, you know, records for college football. But to look at – Georgia's schedule and say, oh, yeah, they're in trouble here. I mean, I think I think 12-0 for Georgia is a very fair projection at this point. It is. It is. And I and I think I think sometimes uh, when you think about, you know, BJ, uh, this Georgia team, they've earned they've earned this uh they've earned this distinction. When you look at the fact that they're gonna be a team that's gonna be highly coveted, uh, you know, uh, when you look at, you know, their schedule, Kirby Smart has built the monster. And he understands that look, man, it's about reloading every year. It's about understanding that look, we we was we was the hunter, now we are the hunted. And yes, BJ, this schedule sets up very favorable. I mean, right now, Jeff Collins is at, is calling Kirby Smart and saying, dude, what did you do to get the schedule you got? Cause they treat me like I'm you and you me. So yeah, Georgia is gonna be the team to beat from years to come. And we mentioned Alabama BJ, Will Anderson, Bryce Young. I think they're gonna have redemption on their mind all year long. I will say this. Um as a Georgia fan, it does feel good to go into this season and just like, oh, if we beat Oregon, we're kind of good. I mean, I know we got a road game against South yeah, you're Carolina. The defending national champs, man. I look, that, 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 right? I mean, those are going to be those are going to be those are going to be the expectations. I'm going into the season looking at it as if, okay, we have Oregon the first game. We could just get past that. After that, I, I'm good. I think we're chilling because we have Stetson Bennett. It's not like we're throwing an inexperienced quarterback out there. It's growing pains. We're bringing back. Pretty much the bulk of our offense. We lost the running backs, but you know what Georgia does. And you do. bring Brian McClendon in yeah. as passing game coordinator. Yeah. Yeah. You know what Georgia does. They bring a fresh pair of running backs, a new crop in, and they just do the same thing each and every year. I'm confident. I do believe they go 12-0, and Bama, Georgia, SEC championship again. 
12 and 0, we relive the same story again. All right, Ben, before we go to break, if if Billy Napier does go 500 or not make a bowl, I mean, how, how will that fly in Gainesville? It's, it's not it's not going to be good, BJ. And, and, and the expectations are always there. It is. Well, for two reasons, right? You saw what he did in Louisiana, right? And he's hired an army. Like, Every single day I go to Twitter, he's he's hired somebody else. He he's gonna sign more coaches. He's gonna sign recruits in 2022, and I'm not mad at him. But he understands that the infrastructure is there, the resources there, BJ. But you know, just like I know, BJ, this is the un, this is the unfair thing about college football. They expect you to be contending year one, regardless of what you have to replace from the previous year. Talk about the Jaguars, uh, I guess, in about 20 minutes. But we'll come back. Kelvin Hunt, ChopChat.com will join us. Florida State, Florida, a new twist there. That's three and out on the. ACC schedules are out. ACC football schedules for this fall and another tough schedule for Mike Norvell and the Florida State Seminoles. And with us now to talk about Florida State schedule this fall from ChopChat.com, Kelvin Hunt. Kelvin, good afternoon. How are you? Uh, doing well, guys. How are you guys doing? Doing wonderful. Thanks so much for, for, for coming on. And I look at this Florida State schedule. want to ask you about a twist with uh, Florida. But first, early in the season, you have LSU in New Orleans, Florida State's no stranger to playing big-time non-conference games early, but what type of test is that going to be for a uh, Seminoles team trying to get back to bowl eligibility? Uh, man, it's, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to say right now. Uh, you know, LSU is going through a transition with a new head coach, and I know they lost a lot of guys from um, last year's team, and uh, they have a, a number of guys similar to Florida State uh, coming from the transfer portal, so um, you know, we'll know more after spring practice and, and kind of what their depth chart looks like. But, um, uh, you know, it should be a good game. Looking forward. I mean, what are realistic expectations this year for Florida State? I mean, I think sometimes when you look at Coach Norvell and obviously he had to come behind Willie Taggart, I mean, unreali- unrealistic expectations obviously going to come from the fan base. But what does he have to show, you know, uh, in year three that they haven't seen thus far? Um, well, you know, I think we need to to win the games that, that we, um, you know, we expect to win. Um, I, I think that's big. Um, I think he finally has um, some depth on the roster that, that they need. Uh, you know, injuries kind of impacted last year quite a bit. And um, I think he's, they've done a good job of building some depth at some key positions. And, um, uh, you know, I, I have um, higher expectations than I had last year. When I look at this schedule, one thing that uh, stands out, of course, Ben, we talked about this with, with, with you having played at Florida – Florida State-Florida, which has been one of the top rivalries in college football, this season is going to be played on a Friday. Uh, do, do do Florida State fans like that? What what'd you make of that news? Yeah, I, I don't think, uh, you know, the consensus it seems uh, from Florida State fans that, you know, that they're not thrilled about it. Um, uh, and more importantly, I think even local businesses are not, are not thrilled about it. Um, you know, that's going to be a tough tough ask uh, to have uh, students come, you know, on that weekend for a game uh, on Friday, um, you know, but hopefully, um, you know, they know well in advance and hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll have a good turnout, but um, it's, it's not the, the best ideal situation uh, given that it's a huge rivalry game. I mean, Kevin, I mean, I understand when it comes to situations like this, I mean, they trying to trying to try to try to create something different, right? But you mentioned, I mean, you know, uh, in the state of Florida, high school football is huge. And you talk about Friday night, that's when high school football is played. You take a rivalry as entrenched and a tradition rich like Florida, Florida State, to just do these type things, is it what how much level of tone deafness is going on right now with a situation with a decision like this being made? 
Yeah, I, you know, I think it's really out of Florida State's hands on this one. I think this one's more from the the, you know, the TV exec side of things, and you know, um, you know, if, I, I'm sure if it was up to Florida State, you know, they they would have preferred to keep the game on on a Saturday. Um, but you know, I, I really don't think they had too much taste on this one. Probably. We're chatting with Kelvin Hunt from ChopChat.com. Florida State, the ACC has released uh, their schedule. Florida State, the ACC, Atlantic, Kelvin. I, you know, pretty tough on paper. You look at Clemson, obviously, I think NC State is probably going to be preseason top 15. Wake Forest, of course, was in the ACC championship game. How does Florida State feel like it fits into a suddenly very tough ACC Atlantic division? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things that stands out to me is, um, and, and FSU dealt with this last year, you know, they, they faced a murderous row of, uh, of, of quality quarterback play. And almost every team you mentioned returns their quarterback. So, um, you know, that alone, you know, is, is going to make things difficult. But, um, you know, I, I think the, the schedule is favorable, more favorable than, than in years past. And, um, you know, I think if, you know, we, you have the LSU game there, but I think barring that, I think FSU can, can, can get off to a good start. And, you know, and if they, if they enjoy some early success and, you know, get some momentum and some confidence, um, you know, and you, you kind of have a rough patch there with, um, you know, Wake Forest and uh, NC State and Clemson. But the back end of that schedule, um, I think, is favorable to FSU. So if they can get to that back end, you know, pretty healthy, um, you know, I think there there's a number of games that they can win um, there and, and have a good year. Uh, one thing I noticed about uh, Coach Norvell and when it comes to, you know, uh, these new coaches now, we're not, I don't want to call them a new coaches, their ability to go out there and get former players, either from the, either from Florida State or from or other schools. I see guys like, you know, Corey Fuller, guys like Kiwan Rattles behind the scenes. How much does that help the players when you got guys that have done it, being able to help them transition to their play on the field and, and really away from the field as well? Yeah, I, I think that's big time. And not only that, you know, those two guys have, um, a lot of key ties in the state of Florida uh, when it comes to recruiting them. Now I know they'll they'll be off you know off the field roles, but you know a lot of times those roles um, you know are really important in, in establishing relationships and, and kind of getting the foot in the door for those coaches um, to um, to maybe have access to um, the talent that's in state. And um, FSU seems to be making a concerted effort to uh, to concentrate more in the state of Florida and the state of Georgia. Uh, in year three uh, than they have in the previous years under Novell. So that's that's a welcome sight and something that they need to do. Kelvin Hunt, ChopChat.com here with us. So in terms of looking at this schedule and, and making predictions, is there a number of wins that Florida State fans will be happy with? I mean, I know you can say, hey, we go 10-2, and two, that would be great. But is is it as simple as, hey, we're building, let's get back to bowl eligibility? Is it we need to see eight wins? When you look at this schedule, what does Mike Norvell need to do? Yeah, um, he, you know, at a minimum, I think he, you know, he has to make a bowl game this year. Um, to me, it seems like the magic number seems to be eight. I think if if they were somehow get eight wins this year, I think FSU fans would say, okay, you know, we're we're on the right track. You know, progress is being made. Um, you know, and I think they would feel good about things moving forward. Um, eight, I would say, eight wins is the number. Obviously, we're a day away from National Signing Day. You get a big, you get a big uh, get last year in the transfer portal. Guy like Jermaine Johnson. How do you think this uh, this recruiting class is, uh, you know, uh, looking off Coach Norvell? And who who do you think uh, in that recruiting class got a chance to be a key contributor this year? Um, well, I think you got to start at the top um, with um, you know 
Sam McCall and uh, Azaria Thomas, you know, those are your top two um, um, signees in the class, and, and both of them enrolled early. And um, they just uh, did an interview today, and both of those guys are, are, are really mature for their age and seem to have a good attitude. Uh, you know, they seem to, um, you know, to be embracing the work that's required to get on the field early. So those are probably the two I would I would expect to see on the field um, earliest. Um, then you also have Omar Graham Jr., a linebacker, and uh, possibly Rodney Hill at, at, at running back. You know, we'll, we'll see. Uh, but I think those first two guys for sure we'll see on the field. The schedule out for Florida State. You have an early season game with LSU and New Orleans in week two. And Florida State, Florida going to be on a Friday, uh, what, the day after Thanksgiving. Uh, Kelvin Hunt from ChopChat.com has been our guest talking about the Seminoles. Kelvin, thank you so much for the time. Thank you, guys. Have a good one. Ben, where is, where is, where's Florida State at here in that uh, I think the expectations are always going to be there. They're not going anywhere. You bring back a lot of talent. Jordan Travis, the quarterback, is back. Uh, I know uh, Kalen Deloach from uh, Islands is back. Really good players. Is it, is it eight wins? Like, like Kelvin said, do fans want to see Florida State contend? And like we talked about with Georgia Tech, how do you manage that, that schedule of – yeah, you like stepping into the spotlight with LSU, mm-hmm. but also when you play LSU and Clemson and Miami, and fly, it, it's getting harder to get to that 6-7 win mark. It is, BJ, but think about what it does for the program. They do win against LSU. I mean, I know sometimes, you know, BJ, when it comes to you and I, we've saying to ourselves, look, man, you stay away from dangerous teams like LSU, but the whole thing about it is, you know, BJ, as you mentioned, Jordan Travis, you got some things to look forward to. I think the Florida State is right there on the brink. I mean, if Florida State goes from not making the bowl game to eight wins, because we expect Clemson to rebound, right? No Kenny Pickett this year at Pitt. You really don't know what's going to happen down there in Miami. It's not like Florida State don't compete in these games. Florida State did beat Miami. Uh, absolutely. So I, I just think that for me, BJ, is look, man, uh, go out there and do what Pitt did last year in the sense that, look, you get some good quarterback play, you run the football, you play uh, quality defense, you're right there in the thick of things. I don't think nobody in the ACC not named Clemson scares anybody. So when people saying, you know, NC State is going to be good, you know, you think, you know, no Sam Howell from, uh, you know, uh, for uh, for North Carolina this year. I think, BJ, this is the year they're going to have to contend because I think that Clemson showed that when Clemson isn't as good, it makes the, it makes the landscape in the ACC a lot more even. Now. I don't expect that to be the case in 2022 because of what happened. But I think I, this is the same Florida State team, BJ, like I mentioned, man. I, it's a head-scratcher because they, they will. We go back to the opening game. If Florida State beats Notre Dame the opening game last year, how much different is the season? It's to amazing. Go? I'm, I'm yeah. just saying it's like a difference. And, and in a sense, that's kind of been Florida State, right? Those first games kind of have a lot to do with it. I mean, I, I, you go back to Francois, even though it wasn't his fault, playing Alabama the first game of that year, gets hurt. And it's kind of been you you've been dealing with like some, you know, a little turmoil since then. They find a way, you know, to get a, you know, to get a well, I mean, LSU ain't gonna be easy, but BJ, they find a way to get a win against LSU. What does that do for the program? What does that do for Norvell? You obviously played in some iconic Florida, Florida State games. To me, just being honest, feels a little weird. Feels it is weird. weird and and I and I think too something something to uh people for people thinking, man, to, you know, a place like Gainesville, a place like uh Florida, I mean Tallahassee shuts down on Fridays. They shut they do. And when you think about high school football, BJ, how big? I mean, you think about it. I mean, you know, what are these teams coming from? They coming from Lincoln High School, iconic high school, right there in Tallahassee. What does that do for for the people that are trying to be able? A lot of those people got children that they want to go watch play on Friday night. But I understand. And it's trying like to, part of the Saturday. It is tailgate all day. It is. It get, is. It is. And the thing is, all those teams that play on Friday have something to look forward to on Saturday. Uh, you know, but I, look, we'll see what happens, BJ. Like you said. Uh, 
they don't make the decision. Uh, you know, uh, Coach Norvell and those guys didn't have any part of making that decision. But I think sometimes you be overthinking it. I think I think this is a little bit of an exaggeration. We'll see how many years they keep this in place. The Florida State schedule out. The ACC schedules are out. Uh, and uh, you can check those out. Georgia Tech, to go back some earlier, wow. Georgia Tech's schedule is really tough. Florida State, again, has that early season game with LSU. We'll come back, talk about the Jaguars. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Back here with you on three and out. B.J. Bennett, Ben Troop, Cam Urshery alongside. Uh, glad to be with you. Ben, do you have any idea what's going on with the Jacksonville Jaguars, what they're thinking, what they're doing, if there's a timeline? We've been trying to address this for a couple of weeks. Any 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 sense? No, it seems like uh, Jacksonville and Miami, uh, you know, both have the same uh... – you know, uh, the same person in the front office trying to help them get things done. I mean, we talked about Brian Flores earlier, BJ, with Miami. What's yes. going on with him? And, and and I said this. It starts with he wants to uh, sue, and then all the other stuff start coming out. I think Cam just told us, now they're paying him to lose down there in Miami. You talk about Jacksonville. I've never understood this. You take Shia Khan. Shia Khan wants to have a winning organization. So what does he do? He goes out. He gets Mike. He gets uh, Coach, Coach Tom. I mean, uh, Coach Coughlin. Didn't work, right? Didn't work. Then he goes get Urban Meyer. Didn't work. Urban Meyer wants to go get Chris Doyle and Tim Tebow. Didn't work. Now, Trent Baalke, well, listen, BJ, the, the first thing with the problem is, one, to identify what the problem is. It hasn't been identified. It is Trent Baalke. Then we must oh, yeah, get you rid- should, I, I mean, I, Byron Lovett should be the head coach. Adrian Wilson should but you, be the GM. Because, because my thing is this, right? My thing is this. Name, name a head coach. Name a head coach that, that, that wants to deal with the previous uh, GM that has no winning track record, that all he has on his track record is uh, losing franchises and coaches getting fired. Byron Leftwich says, I'm coming from, as of late, a winning organization. We are, we, are, we, are, we, are, we are the defending Super Bowl champs until next, uh, you know, next Sunday. Now, we're talking about a Jacksonville Jaguars team that has the number one overall pick two years in a row. A Jacksonville Jaguars team that the average age is 26. A Jacksonville Jaguars team, BJ, that as of late hasn't really had a lot of things to feel good about, but also a Jacksonville Jaguars team that's not too many years removed from playing Tom Brady in the AFC Championship game. I think sometimes when it comes to these organizations, we just add problems when you don't when there isn't one. Trent Baalke is a problem that he has been. I didn't. Byron Leftwich said, "I don't want to work with him." You know why? Because you know who Byron Leftwich spoke to? The GM with the Bucks. GMs know other GMs. Presidents know other presidents. Owners, no other owners. So the first thing he does, hey, man, how you feel about Trent Baalke? Don't do it. Because we have proven, right, black coaches got the smallest windows there is in uh, in uh, professional sports in the NFL. They can actually play. They, they can coach well, get fired. Not coach well, get fired. Be a mid-tier, get fired. So Byron Leftwich goes, this might be my only chance to be a head coach. You don't believe me? Remember Raheem Morris? Remember he was the head coach of the Tampa Bay Bucks, right? Have you heard from him since as a head coach? Guess all, 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 I, all I'm saying is, listen, and guess who Raheem Morris is right now? He's in the Super Bowl. He's the defensive coordinator for the Rams. No one says a word about him, right? Because it's, it's all, you know, Von Miller and Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey, Eric Weddle, right, and Ernest Jones. All I'm saying is Trent Baalke is the problem. Anybody, not even Byron Levels, that comes in there that has to work with, and I think it's something now, BJ, that Trent Baalke trying to get an assistant GM yeah, so that he can have more. Listen. Let me, I'm going to tell y'all this. Floyd Reese drafted me in 2004. He was a hell of a GM. May he rest in peace. Me and Floyd Reese got to know each other, not because he was out on the field trying to throw me the football, because I went upstairs and I just spoke to him about life. I learned that at my time. When's the last time a GM spoke with the players? 
GM picks the players. You know who speaks to the players? That would be the position coach. That would be the head coach. That would be the strength coach. You know, how fake is it for a GM to say, man, I'm going to get an assistant GM so I can go down there with the, the players. don't want to deal with him. They don't want to deal with no Trent Baalke. Like, what, what are they going to talk about? Is, is Trent Baalke in a position to tell anybody on the Jacksonville Jaguars team they suck? No, because he does. So I just think that BJ, sometimes it ain't the franchise. It's a decision. It's a person within it. They got rid of Coughlin, didn't they? Doug Marone, I mean, you know they were going to have to get rid of him, but you got rid of Doug Marone for Urban Meyer. I'm just saying, man, at the end of the day, it's Shy Khan. He got rid of, he got to get rid of Trent Bonkin because I'm telling y'all, I was a guy that I worked on the first floor, right? All the decisions are made upstairs. So if you want, so if it's chaotic on the first floor, it's probably something going on upstairs. And BJ for, Tra- for Trevor Lawrence, for Travis Etienne when he come back, for Josh Allen, those, Jawan Taylor, those guys, they deserve much better than Trent Bonkin. I think Shy Khan need to make a decision. Uh, this is the most important offseason. BJ, you could know more than me, obviously. In Jaguars history, though, oh, they have great point. so much cap space. You have the number one overall pick again. You got your cornerstone cornerstone quarterback now. Now you got to go protect him. Who you know we've agreed on Evan Neal, but this is an important offseason. Um, Urban Meyer in his first year, he he, he gets fired. He mm. goes two and fifteen. Didn't make it. Didn't make it. Um, I said from the jump, I didn't like the hire because <laughs> I don't believe in a rookie head coach having a rookie quarterback. Mm-hmm. I just don't think it works like mm-hmm. that. I personally doesn't think I personally don't think that. And I see their interviewing Doug Peterson. I like Dougie P. I think he could coach. I mean, he went thirteen and three, then back to back nine and seven seasons, Super Bowl champion, four and two in the playoffs. I think he could coach. It's a good fit. I, I like I said, I love Flores anywhere he goes. And then I like Brian Flores Rich. would be great. I know oh, yeah. I mean a little, well, Brian Flores, think about this. I keep going back to this. Back in two thousand six. I'm sorry, yeah, back in two thousand six we got the third overall pick. Mario Williams goes one. Mm-hmm. Reggie Bush goes two. Who do you get? Do you get Matt Lyon? Do you get Vince Young? Now, Matt Lyon and Vince Young, neither one had stellar careers, right? But this is my thing. If the head coach wants somebody, that's who you get. You don't override him with a GM. You don't, listen, the GM picks everybody else. He picks people in free agency. If, if, because the thing about it is when people say, well, well does it matter if the head coach picks the guy? As Zach Taylor doesn't matter. Oh, they're in the Super Bowl. Ask Sean McVay what happens when he gets to get the guy in free agency. Oh, they're in the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. If the head coach don't know talent, he shouldn't be the head coach. I'm not saying that the GM don't know don't know talent as well, right? But I just go back to that uh, Jeff Fisher wanted Matt Liner, not because Vince Young wasn't good enough. People go, how did Vince Young end up with the Tennessee Titans? Hell of a player. But what did he have in common with Bud Adams? Bud Adams from Houston. Uh, Vince Young from Let Houston. Let me ask you this to that point because – the Senior Bowl is happening right now. Yeah. See, senior Bowl practices are happening right now. Um, how does Jacksonville? You 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 don't have a head coach. No. Mm-hmm. You may have. I don't know. I I don't know the status of your GM. Is he changing roles? Is he bringing in an assistant? Is he going to get fired? How do you plan for? As Cam pointed out, maybe the biggest offseason in your franchise's history when you don't know what's going on at GM and you don't have a head coach. <sighs> BJ, that is that is that is the question of that is the question of the year when you talk about Jacksonville. Because the thing about it is, is you know what people you know what people don't give enough credit to? You know, the fact that we can see these things going on in real time, right? Like we can see it. So just say you are, let's say you are Coach Peterson, right? And you do want to come to Jacksonville. What if he had the same demand? Because this is a Super Bowl winning coach, right, by the way. What if he had the same demand as uh as uh, Byron Leftwich? Do they still keep Trent Balky? What if every head coach and candidate comes in and say, I want a new guy GM? Because Look, I don't want the old guy. The old guy has proven everywhere he's been to not get it done. 
I'm just saying, man. We, sometimes when it comes to coaches, they they we're not naive, you know. Like like like, give us a little bit of credit for knowing a little bit about what's going on. BJ, I think Shaq Khan is gonna have to admit he made a mistake. You don't believe me? He did it. With, he did it with Chris Doyle. He got hired one day. He had to resign the next day. He did it with Urban Meyer. He let him go. Right? Why you keep a Trent Balky? Because guess who has something to do with both of those? That's Balky's people. Get Urban Meyer. Who's Urban Meyer gonna get? Chris Doyle. So Chris Doyle is the, the only person would have hired him is Urban Meyer. The only person with a high urban mind is Trent Balky. That's a problem. You got two guys that nobody wants to touch. So I think now BJ is going to have to come to Child Khan. He's the owner. Look, man, is, listen, man, you made a mistake. Get you it. Because the quicker you can get a qualified GM, the, the, the better it's going to be for the new head coach because if the new head coach comes in and Trent Balky is making the decisions, it, you, you should expect much of the same because if you're going to tell a new head coach in Byron Left, which he don't, I'm not going to leave, you're going to tell a veteran head coach who's one of the – what one of what five or six coaches in the NFL that they got a Super Bowl championship and coach yeah, not, Peterson? Not many. So I, I just I just think BJ man, you know, sometimes man, you know, when it comes to these franchises like a Jacksonville, they need the best people in the building. I mean, Cincinnati, Zach Tom, Zach Taylor been there for three years. They in the Super Bowl. I'm just saying, man, like a coach that young is already in the Super Bowl. If you want to go with a veteran head coach, I get it. If you don't want to go with Bible Leverage, but if Bible, but if, but if, but if Peterson comes in. And Peterson gets what he wants, and Byron Leftwich didn't. That's a bad sign if you are Shia Khan because it's proven that, hey, man, different strokes for different folks, man. That's some nonsense in my opinion. Byron Leftwich should be in the building. Adrian Wilson should be in the building because, BJ, those two guys can get the best qualified. They can get Evan Neal. And that, I would wonder, I would that's wonder, what be, the fan base wants I, overwhelingly. You oh, want yeah. you Listen, you got before, before, before wins and losses, this is what you need to do. You need to be able to resonate with these players. Before, before you do anything else, who resonates better in the National Football League than Byron Leverage and Adrian Wilson? They look like the players that's out there. They've been the players that's been out there. They was great players for their franchises. What else do you want? Sometimes you gotta bring a little you gotta bring a little swagger to that organization, <laughs> man. Yeah. I, sometimes you gotta have the swag. I look at McVay. McVay got swag, man. You gotta bring swagger to your organization. But it's what you said. Gotta get Evan Neal, but at the same time, you have to get a good amount of draft picks this year. Like I, I'm pretty sure y'all have an exorbitant amount. I think, I, and and I keep, I, I think it's five of the top seventy five. Which, which, which so you got to draft with, well. with 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 what sixty million in cap space. Once again, once again, players speak to other players when it comes to destination spots. We'll see what happens, BJ. But I think. Trevor Lawrence deserves better than that. Josh Allen deserves better than that. Because BJ, yeah, you if you're be- a free agent, if you're a free agent, and you know there there have long been rumors about Jacksonville's going to get this guy or that guy because they have a lot of money to offer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but if you're in look Jacksonville, Florida has great weather. No, uh, no, no uh, state tax. No state tax. But if you're a free agent and you're looking around and you have multiple suitors, and you're like, well, I could go here or I could go to Jacksonville. Nice fan base. You're yeah, but you're looking at Jacksonville, out. going, what, what, what am I getting into? Well, think about this too, though. This is something we ain't factoring in, right? The team that's in the Super Bowl went to Nashville and beat the one team in your division that you need to beat. You are the, you you were supposed to be the worst team in the division, and you kept Carson Wentz and company from going Buffalo, who went who went toe to toe to Kansas City. You held them to six points. Mm-hmm. These are things you go through the season and say, "Hey, man." And I think that showed the potential to yeah, fight. Mm-hmm. I, and I think this too, BJ. Look, Tom Brady leaves the NFC South. It's wide open. Yep. Right. You get the right coach. You get the right players. I'm telling you, BJ, you can have a turnaround in 2022. Not saying you're going to win the Super Bowl, but then again, why why, why, why not say that? Because nobody saw Cincinnati doing this. Come on, man. Let's just – come mean, on, man. I believe, let's, let's, I believe let's, the let's, AFC South is kind of wild outside of Tennessee. Yeah. But those other the, – the second and third slot, 
I mean, Carson Wentz is not scaring you. Well, and Jacksonville put it on Indy. Yeah. I mean, that was a they, yes. they, they dominated. Yeah. That and game. listen, for anybody that said they had Cincinnati in the Super Bowl outside of a Cincinnati fan and a Joe Burrow's parents, you're a liar. I'm just telling you that right now. Even but, they did. But BJ, that's all the motivation you need, right? If you are the Jacksonville Jaguars in the AFC South, that is not the hardest division again. You find a way to tackle number twenty-two because no one's scared of freaking Ryan Tannehill. You get the right coach and some pieces. Could you be contending in twenty twenty two? But how long does this go? I mean, the the I mean, next week is Super Bowl week. Uh, you did have some coaching hirings announced over the weekend, but uh, look, entering the weekend, we thought we would know something by Monday. It's Tuesday. I mean, is it going to be the end of the week? And we're looking around, going, "What's happening?" It probably is, BJ, because it's the Jacksonville Jaguars. It's almost like right now in this coaching cycle, right? Eric Bieniemy should be hired because because he, he's available now. Byron Leppard should be hired because he's available now. D'Amico Ryan should be getting looks. You can't, you can't, you yes. can't, uh, you can't reach out to Raheem Morris because he got, he got, he still got a, a game to play in. I think I can't think Coach Peterson is a good hire. I think Jim Caldwell is a good hire. And the whole thing about it is, you're going to end up getting a coach that nobody saw coming, that nobody's heard of, because Shaq Khan wants to say, I was right and you were wrong. Well, as long as you got Trent Bulky, you are wrong, and wrong, wrong. There were reports, what, yesterday that Jacksonville at least wants to interview O'Connell, the offensive coordinator for the Rams, if they do that, because they were not able to yeah. interview him earlier or, mm-hmm. or request permission to do yeah. that. That will be after the Super Bowl, yes. before they even interview him. BJ, all I'm saying is, Cam, BJ, all I'm saying is this. You look back on any good organization. They have certain things in place. They got good front office people first. People that understand the game, understand the players, understand the culture, winning culture, right? Bad organizations, it starts from the top again. Look at any bad organization. Look at the Giants. GM retired. Joe, I mean, Joe Judge think he's coming back. I don't know what the hell film he was watching. And I'm like, what, what makes you think you're coming back? I'm just saying, like, bad organizations – it starts from the top. It's, and to me, I'm going to say this. It's never usually the players. It might be a player or two. It's never the players. I played with Tennessee, good coach. I played with Tampa, good coach. And I also went to Oakland. I know culture supersedes everything else. Mm-hmm. So all I'm saying is, if you want to change the culture, you can't do it with Balky. That's just my opinion. Got to get it done. Got to get it done. But it's not each day that goes on, you're looking around going, what is happening mm-hmm. in Jacksonville? We'll come back with more three and out. On the Southern Peaks, we have some college basketball for you tonight in all markets. Uh, ACC game. You have North Carolina at Louisville. I think tip-off 730. Uh, Louisville just had a coaching change, fired Chris Mack, uh, their head coach. I know North Carolina has been kind of up and down. But college basketball, are you guys Are you guys buying? Are you guys buying Auburn as the national championship favorite at this point? I'm going to let you go first. No, no, listen, listen, I'm, I'm not – until listen, until you get listen, you gotta I mean, go not through, all go, of our go, teams no, no, have go gone through, back go to through back. That, go through the SEC tournament first, then get the March BJ, and listen. The closer we get to that Elite Eight, then but come on, man. I mean, but right now they all looking good, and then uh, I mean uh, I mean Coach, uh, I can't I can't even think his name right Coach now. Pearl. Coach Pearl, Coach Pearl signed, signed that signed that nice extension. So shout out to Coach Pearl. If I had to pick a favorite, it'd be Gonzaga. Um, just the experience they're bringing back. I saw them play Duke, and that was one of the best games I've seen in the past five years. And they have a couple of guards that could – they have two six seven guards that could go. But Auburn's right there. I mean, no one in the country for a reason. They got some They got some length on that team too. But I'll probably say Gonzaga, Auburn, and then the field after that. We have North Carolina and Louisville coming up tonight. Tomorrow, National Signing Day. Again, Christian uh, was doing some research, told me we're going to have – Dozens of football players from the 912 signed college scholarships tomorrow, which is awesome. Ben, as you said, wherever you're going, absolutely awesome. And 
testament to just a ton of hard work uh, uh, on the field, off the field. Uh, but National Signing Day tomorrow, and looking forward to uh, talking to some student athletes. Cam, I know you're going to be out and about, but looking forward to uh, tomorrow. National Signing Day is always a lot of fun. It really, really is. I mean, I know it's all about the player tomorrow, but make it about the people, places, and things that had everything to do with you sitting in that seat. It's not just about you. Make sure you thank your teammates. Make sure you thank your coaches. Make sure you thank your teachers, guidance counselors. But make sure you thank your family and friends, man. Don't That person in the neighborhood that had been telling you that you was good enough to do this well before anybody else saw it in you. Sometimes you didn't even see it in yourself. But make sure you say thank you, man. You know, I appreciate man is something that most people you know go their whole life and never hear you getting shown appreciate tomorrow make sure you show appreciate to those people to make sure you get an opportunity to sign that national letter of intent and a chance to go play college football and uh, hey whatever level you're going to again an incredible amount of work and uh, we'll have some student athletes uh, on the show tomorrow on second down as well uh, cam you guys with a uh, christian and pj so full coverage of national signing day we'll also have updates on espncoastal.com social media make sure uh, twitter Facebook, you're following as we'll have updates from all the area student athletes who sign uh, National Signing Day tomorrow. I want to thank uh, Kelly Quinlan, Jackets Online, for joining us on the program. Aaron Fit, D1Baseball.com, Brad Crawford, 247 Sports, and Kelvin Hunt of ChopChat.com. We'll see you tomorrow. Three and out, Southern Pigskin Radio Network.